You're nothing but an ignorant slob, Dennis. A little ignorant slob. I went to college, Dennis. You? All I ever got out of it was dissipation. And a lot of early bells disturbing my sleep. A lot of supercilious professors, slob professors, shooting off their mouth about something, trying to teach me something that they'd already failed at in life themselves. So don't tell me I don't appreciate anything. Look, Tom, will you cool that you know what you're talking about? I suppose you really understand that thing, huh, Betty? It's not a question of understanding it, man. If you feel it, you feel it, stupid. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Ah, oh, shut up, Dennis. I oh, shut up yourself. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and welcome to episode 65. 65. The year of my mom's birth now. We're, going, we're, just, we're, heading, we're heading back in time, Yeah, Mario. We're going to see Huey Lewis and some of the news. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're going to fix problems, hopefully, in the time, but who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll create new problems. Yeah. You know? Who knows, you know? The world's a strange continuum. And on the subject of of the world and sorry guys, we we just spent three hours in a dark theater. Yeah, so, we're gonna uh, talk. Um, we're gonna get right to work. I uh, we got a back east brewing out of Bloomfield, Connecticut. This is intergalactic lupulinary. I've had this before. Uh, back east is a really solid brewery. This is a heavy beer though, right? This is like an eight percent. I think it's a heavy heavy high IBV beer. I don't, I don't know. know. It doesn't list it. But I do remember this being a high ABV beer, but I think I like this. I think it might From be a outer little space. sweet, which is good. I like going outer space. We just spent a bunch of time in outer space. Let's we did. <laughs> What's it about? It's it's a it's. So this is brewed with a lighter malt base, a good old American notes of style citrus IPA. and tropical fruit. Oh, it's only a five point four. It's not too bad. A lot of space puns on the oh, can. That's, that's a good. It's juicy. Juicy, but kind of juicy, but it's got like you got that uh, hoppy bitterness smell to it. Whoa, that is juicy. That tastes like gum. No, you think so? Yeah, it could be the fact that we're simultaneously drinking coffee. Oh. So on my tongue is coffee. We're also drinking uh, from New Haven, Connecticut, Willoughby's Fresh Roasters. Their uh, house French roast. It's pretty tasty. It's good. Willoughby's coffee is the one of the uh, three great coffee houses of, of New Haven. Is there a term for a coffee house? Coffee roaster, a coffee shop, a barista, barista store? Or, oh, yeah, barista store. Where you buy your yep. baristas? There it is. Um, but with it. East Rock Coffee and coffee, with a K, mm-hmm. much like the Mortal Kombat's. Uh, Just like it. It is. Someone's always ripping off someone's spine in, yeah. in, in coffee with a K. And screwing them over with microtransactions. <laughs> is that true? Well, just the new micro... The new micro... The new... Um, Mortal Kombat 11 came out, and apparently yeah, I saw. Get, you have to like spend $6,000 to get all the skins without like grinding for hundreds of hours. Terrific. So, I'm glad, I'm glad that's where video games are now. Speaking of grinding for hundreds of hours, me and you saw a little film, a little independent feature by uh, two guys who made their name on the show community. Uh, now they're, they're finally reaching out and trying to do something new. Yeah, um, they're... they're doing a, a really... Art house style it's intimate. sci-fi. It's an intimate movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they got a, a great uh, surrounding cast. Of, it's a pretty cast. good, pretty good cast. I mean, it, 
You know, like Wes Anderson's Andrew, Wes style, you know, like that little small cast. It's a little redundant to, like, 2000s television with, like, your Kobe Smulders is yeah. in there, you know. Uh, it's, it is what it is. Evangeline Lilly is popping up. Like, you're going, going back to 2000. Paul Rudd, you know, from, yeah. his, from his friends' days. And wasn't he on Freaks and Geeks as well? Was he? I, I never watched that show. I don't know. Who, I don't think he was on Freaks and Geeks. Oh, he was, but he was on Wet Hot American Summer? Right? He was in Wet Hot American Summer, right. yeah. But Both we are, of them. We are talking about Avengers Endgame. telling everybody they should move on some do but not us even if there's a small chance we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try we will whatever it takes Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Avengers Endgame is, of course, the 22nd film in that Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, nearing its 11th anniversary now. Iron Man, I think, came out in May of 2008. It I can't believe the, it's only been 11 years. They've been feels, pumping yeah, these out. Yeah, you're getting like two or three a year. It's um, the third direct sequel to the Avengers series, and Box Office Mojo actually divides both the Avengers series and the Marvel Cinematic Universe into two separate things, but double counts the Avengers, so I think they're cheating there a little bit. Wow, that is ridiculous and Um, (laughs) not important. This first part of the conversation, we will refrain from spoilers, we'll give our thoughts, uh, but there will be some spoilers for Avengers all the other Avengers that came out before it, like Infinity War and whatnot, because yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. had time. We respect, we usually don't care about spoilers. We're going to give, we res- yeah. give you a spoiler alert when we switch yeah. to the spoiler portion of the conversation. So. And usually we say, if you care enough to see a movie, you'll go see it, and so that's why we usually don't care about spoilers. With this, you may really want to see Endgame, but you just don't have the ability to, because it's going to possibly make a billion dollars worldwide this weekend, mm-hmm. and $300 million. It is... Avengers Endgame is the direct sequel to last year's Infinity War, uh, following Thanos' snap and killing half of all living things in the universe, including apparently plant life. It's good that they showed that and plant birds. life died. Yeah, birds. That's how, that's how, you know, things are great. They never mentioned the birds. Yeah, but like everything, you know, is like all downtrodden and, and horrible. Um, and the Avengers, the lasting Avengers, try to get together uh, to find a way to cope with it or maybe to reverse it if they can mm-hmm. um, and to find Thanos and to exact a vengeance. Not revenge, a vengeance. A vengeance, yeah. yeah. Or the, the pre-vengers. Yeah. I like the pre-vengers. That's, just a, that's, a, yeah, that's a good one. Um, thoughts. Yeah, because we can't tell you really about the story without, without yeah, we, doing we'll, spoilers, we so we'll, get do, into we'll the do that story a little bit soon. So that'll be a heavier. This is gonna be a really quick discussion. Again, I feel like we've had this conversation about the Avengers before in this show. This is not my movie. Um, I do not give. A you liked sh- you liked Infinity. I liked War. Infinity War. Because you love Age of Ultron. I love Age of Ultron, but I like Infinity War, Age of Ultron, because they don't try to be something that they're not, and. So Infinity War was cool because it was just a. Lo- I mean, it was. I guess it was cool in the sense that. There was some cool stuff happening. It was just a lot of fighting. Um, 
and Thanos is cool, and getting the stones is cool, and moving through all these different locales is cool, and the stakes still weren't so high, so, you know, you got some good interplay between, you know, Tony Stark and, and, and Spider-Man, and, and even throwing Quill and, and Doctor Strange in there, too. And, and it was a really novel sort of thing of getting everyone together. Like, right. you had it in Avengers and Age of Ultron, but now you have this majorly expansive universe you're getting all these disparate attitudes together, and it's interesting. And you know, the Russos are good at kind of creating quips. Like yeah. Community's the first few seasons. I like how we're comparing stuff. Endgame to, <laughs> to Community, you, you, which you, you can't do. not do yeah. because that's what they did. It does feel like Community on the screen somewhat. But as soon as they ratcheted up the stakes, it gets really, really, really like silly to me, and I just have a hard time taking it seriously. We're talking about. Endgame or Endgame. Okay. Because Infinity War, like, even the stakes getting up, I just, I, there's something about, it, it, it. you said the word novel before, and I thought Endgame, or Infinity War is novel, especially in, like, the last scene where Thanos, you know, snaps his finger and everyone disappears. Like, it was in the daylight in the forest. Like, that's different. That doesn't happen a lot. Things usually happen in, like, the dark of space or at night. And or, even the space sequences know, were, you know, Tom Holland has his, you know... Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good moment. Mm-hmm. Um, still decently lit. I mean, it's a little darker. And I just, but... I find that stuff, I find that stuff interesting because everyone always does everything in the dark in these movies. So it was cool to have it, you know. Obviously, and the it's fact that it was like of, so of Black many. Panther, but you know, it's cool. Yeah, it looked. And cool. it was so many of them. Like you would expect, like kind of half that team, but it's in Infinity War. You get like most of the people. Well, and here's one. Most of the major. And players. here's another thing that I'll say is that. Yes, you get most of the major players, and all of them seem to have something to do. So I remember when Wanda came out of nowhere to fight, um, you know, she just, she was guarding... Um, Night Vision. Well, she was guarding Vision, yes, because they're doing a surgery trying to get his thing yeah. out, blah, blah, blah. And, he, you know, they break in, um, the Black Order breaks in, and, you know, they she jumps out and she's helping them, blah, and they're like, oh, where is she? And... This movie has a lot of like, where was that person? Oh, they're right on time, and you're just like, oh yeah, where, where yeah. actually were they? Exactly. And, and then, and that one, so that that one had like a logical pattern of people just kind of showing up and where people were and what they were doing. And, and this think, one has, this one is just kind of like, oh, it's just everybody. Now it's I nobody, think, and then it's everybody. I think my major issue with it, and. You know, we'll, we'll we'll discuss this further as we get into the spoiler part of it. Is A.O. Scott says in his review that like Endgame is a monument to adequacy, a uh, fitting capstone to an enterprise that figured out how to be good enough for people enough of the time. Like Infinity War to me has the ability to have stakes because it is you know the self it's a contained part of a of a half. It is half of what would be resolved in Endgame. Mm-hmm. Endgame has those actual stakes that are going to ripple throughout the universe or whatnot um or our multiplexes so anything that happens in infinity war to the decision of kevin feige or whatever or the russos can kind of be undone in endgame and endgame has that finality to it so they were allowed to kind of like do some weird kind of crazy stuff in terms of that ending um endgame to me is really a great movie for the people who are really invested in the Marvel Universe. If you absolutely buy into everything that's happened in this Marvel Universe and are completely okay with something following this uh, sort of the rails you would expect, um, a few twists and turns here and there, uh, 
Endgame's your movie. And it's it's a spectacle sport. It's almost like a sporting event. We were in a packed theater next to two guys who were really excited to I be like at who guys, yeah. read comic books. You know, and they're kind of like chatting a bit throughout. Like having a little comment. Some people find that annoying. But when it adds to it, it adds to it. And that was what it felt like. It felt like a spectacle. There was applause at certain parts where people showed up. There was... A lot of laughter at funny parts. There's a lot of tears and gasps. Not as much as applause as I thought there was going to be. Yeah, no, not I as much. People would be way more excited. But it was a, it was a not the immediate first showing. So maybe those people were. And it was yeah. I mean, it was very crowded. It yeah. was it was a very. I think I think part of the problem. And I'm sorry that I interrupted you. I think part of my problem too is that I've just we've just been waiting for it for so long, and we've been making like plans to see it for so long, and then you're just seeing it, and you're just like, in my mind, this. Was different, and well, that's I don't I don't think my expectations played a role into it because it it I like it in the sense of I like it has a Marvel film. I think it's a really perfect capstone to all of that. Mm-hmm. Watching this though, I was de- like, I guess it kind of ruins it because I was watching this under the veil of like it's both I'm treating it as a movie yeah, that I'm having fun with, but I'm also treating it as a thing that I want we want to talk about on this podcast and as a thing has an actual film, a, a thing that structures by itself. If you've never seen any Marvel movie before or seen like two or three, this movie's fucking hell. Like this movie demands so much, demands you know so much and have no the stakes. And even if you had just seen Infinity War and this and a couple movies beforehand, I still think you don't understand a lot of what's going on. There's a lot of characters that are in here. They're kind of like, you know, these guys and you know, they might've just been in a sequel to one of the standalone movies. Well, I mean, I- and there's just a lot of stuff. There's even some stuff there. That's like only from the comic books. It kind of has like a moment of like a punch to you. And it's like, um, but I know this stuff because I, I quasi yeah. follow it. But it's, you would just be kind of like getting jostled around. It's, it's, it's not, it's a perfectly competent sort of three act structure to an extent. Um, but it's jostling because it's moving at such a breakneck pace because it's trying to do a lot of things. Uh, the script is bad. Like has a has an actual I mean, screenplay. All, I mean, I mean it has bad, a has but, a plot. Yeah, has a plot that's good. Um, but there's noticeable moments in this where I really hated the words coming out of people's mouths. There's a moment <laughs> early on um, where a character has said, um, you know, don't say this. You know, like say what? Like uh, give me hope. It's, it's early on. It's not. It's not really paramount to what happens in the film. Mm-hmm. It's kind of shown in the trailer. Um, and the line delivery is so static from one of those actors, and you can tell just how much those those that those lines just kind of like punch each other, and they don't sound natural. Well, There's a lot of lack of like naturalism or like stakes, especially in the early part, because the early part of this movie is like dealing with the yeah down the the aftermath of you know trillions of beings dying. It's funny though because it's three hours long, and the line in question I think is meant to a sign of broader character, like, to that character. You know what I mean? It's really supposed... In one line, you're supposed to kind of understand how he feels about everything. But you got a three-hour fucking movie. Like, just give him some more time and it was really, explain it was It was really too. weird that they introduced Rorschach from Watchmen in this movie, though. And I thought it was weird that he had the, all those lines. Mm, no. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been great if, if just the Watchmen had popped up? Dr. Oh, Manhattan. That would have been... And Captain Marvel just, like, playing patty cake. Um... But yeah, everything exploded. So I guess my final thoughts before we get into the actual meat of the, the spoiler conversation are: if you like the Marvel movies, um, if you've liked any of the Marvel movies and have fun with it, you know the story going in. This is a really solid finish. It is, you know, your favorite sports team winning 
the, the, the sports championship of the sport you like. I watch sports. I just don't want to discriminate you know against what sports. If you like film and you want a good movie, like a, a solid, structured, well-balanced movie with solid performances all around and everything, this isn't that movie. If, this yeah, you're right. Flawed. If you're going to be – if you're not heavily, heavily invested in this universe, you will be bored and confused and just kind of angry that you just spent three hours of your life doing this. But I think your sports team analogy is good, but it's not like any sports team. It's like a sports it's like the Patriots winning the Super Bowl this year, where you're just kind of like, oh, that was good. But like nothing special happened. You've just come to expect the Patriots to win the Super yeah. Bowl. And so it's just kind of like, boom, all right. And it's it, and it, especially since it hits a lot of the beats um that, that I had talked about. I think I had talked about it with you before. And you just had not remembered some of the beats. I was like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. I did a lot not of remember. Things yeah, yeah, yeah. did happen. Um, which is not to say, like, patting myself on the back. It just is. It, it was kind of like a victory lap. It. It's a victory lap for 11 years of, of this, this thing. It's, it, that's impressive. Like, to make 11 years and tie, they up, could tie it up with tie everything yeah. neat, somewhat nicely together. There's a lot on their back. So I'm not going to criticize and say, like, oh, this is a failure of a movie. But I think when you need to do that much stuff... Like you're not gonna make a structurally sound movie. You, to me, I, Mar these this Marvel Cinematic Universe isn't aren't films anymore. We're watching no, we're no, watching no. episodes of a of a it's series. Con, it's just of a content. TV series. Yeah, it's content. Yeah. It's it, it is the three hundred million dollar variation of the nineteen forties serial. You know, yeah. we might as well see Superman hear about a problem. You know, that was that George Clark Superman, the uh, the one that killed himself. The, the old one. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one his, that they made, Hollywood Land with... Um, nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't remember his name. Yeah. But, you know, that I Superman. Know about, yeah. Watch him in 10-minute episodes before we go see Double Indemnity. You know, and then... Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's what these are. These are event features that aren't... You know, some of these are standalone, but even now the standalone movies are hitting a point where they require some knowledge of something else happening in some other movie. You can't see Spider-Man Homecoming without, you know... Also having some knowledge of um, what uh, Captain America Civil War beforehand because yeah. that follows well, the and and like, it's a standalone feature. You know, they came out and said uh, Kevin Feige came out and said before this that um, this movie does not tie up this third phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Far from Home is gonna the new Spider Man movie, which almost makes it seem like Far from Home is like almost like a post credit sequence. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you saw this movie, and then, oh, if you want to find out what's going to happen next, you got to go to this other movie. It's like, okay, I guess i got to go to nope. all the That would be a really, really good twist. I don't know if I can say this. But imagine if it turns out that Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio was actually his Jake Gyllenhaal's character from Brokeback Mountain. Heath Ledger's faked his death for 11 years. They're tying in the... He comes back as the Joker. Bam. Next phase is Marvel versus DC. I think you got it. Um, let's talk about Mario. The film now. Some spoilers. So now, first, apologies if you hear a little bit of rain in the background. Uh, but we are now going into the spoiler-heavy aspect. You're going to get a long, loud, well-produced spoiler alert warning. But if you do not want to hear spoilers, we are going to we have a timestamp in the episode description. Yep. Find that timestamp. Go to that or a few seconds past it to get to our reviews for our 65s. If you... If you Here's something you don't want to hear. You have only yourself to blame. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. You have been warned! 
All right, we're back. Now the, all those nerds that haven't seen this movie, we're going to get into the meat of it. We're going to make fun of those people for having not got tickets. That's what, that's what the spoiler was about. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to make, make fun, fun of these of guys for the next 30 minutes. No, you know who we're going to make fun of is um, the people that thought time travel was like the best way to solve this problem. And I not mean, time I mean, travel with the Infinity Stones, time travel another way. And then to do a bunch of time travel... And to do time travel within time travel. And to do jokes about time travel. And to do jokes I mean, about time travel. The time travel thing, I'm always a fan of time travel, and I knew, like, we knew the quantum realm aspect of it was going to play a I role. I thought it was going to be a more complicated role than this. Yeah, so... I've been thinking... There's something I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about it. For yeah. five hours, I've been thinking about this thing. Yeah, like, there's, there's, there's reaches in this. Um, so, I mean, to, to clue people in, because this, this is a spoiler zone... The Paul Rudd, as you know, as Scott Lang, gets thrust out of the quantum realm, which he's been in for five years, our time, five hours, his time, by a rat walking over the control panel of the van he was, his, um, the machine was in at the end of Ant Man and the Wasp, um, and just kind of kicks him out of it. Just you know, just, you know, it sets off. So the rat sets off a chain of events and kicks him out of the thing. Ant Man ends up on the Avengers doorstep after discovering that. Um, Every you know what happened that Thanos has done a bunch of stuff and that his daughter is alive, and he just reveals to Black Widow and Captain America that he's been thinking about this thing about time travel. He's been thinking about it, and then you know what they tell Tony Stark about it, and then he thinks about it for two seconds, and then it works. Yes. Yeah, there's did it. He did it. There's issues with this. Like there, there's a part where he. And the science of these movies is silly, like, obviously. But I think he's looking at, like, anti-dissider space. Like, he, he's trying to figure out time travel. And he's talking to his daughter. And he sees this model of anti-dissider space, but uh, like a calf anti-dissider space. I don't know what the actual term of that is. Uh, then he's like, labs if it's an inverse Mobis strip, which is just nonsense. And, like, yeah, movie, these movies are nonsense. But then it's like, oh, that solved it. Worked. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, how, about, how about this? If you're going to do that, okay, you say, you say don't make it as complicated as that. Or maybe make it easier than that. Maybe you Occam's razor this. You don't need Tony Stark to figure it out. You just cut away and have him had figured it out. You don't like need to show him figuring over it yeah. for like whatever for five you know, years. You or whatever. fucking put Tony or not even five years. You like a couple months. Put Tony Stark in a long beard. Well, I like Tony Stark's twenty-one days in space beard, which yeah. is not a beard. The CGI. He does need to, he does need to shave though. The but CGI it's not that on bad him thing. being. Uh, emaciated though was actually pretty solid. It was pretty good. Well, so let's go. I mean, let's go in order. I mean, I think. Yeah, let's. I guess let's let's do a. I like piece Captain. Piece. I like Captain Marvel coming to save the day. Yeah, that's you know, good. That was fine, and I expected her to. I don't like the idea that they've kind of. And we're gonna nitpick this, and I don't want to real. I really don't want to spend an hour nitpicking this. I don't like the idea that they they suggest that he ran out of oxygen at some point, and then. He didn't run out of oxygen. So Nebula just picks him up and puts him in a chair, and apparently he slept through all of that. I was going to say he was running out of oxygen. So, like, the oxygen was getting weaker, he was starting to fade. But Captain Marvel brings more oxygen? Enough that he can rouse himself? I just just assumed she traveled at at such a speed that, that, like, before. That's fine. But, I mean, I'd say, honestly, the first hour of this movie... I like it was a cool. lot. I mean, so the Thanos thing, finding Thanos so early and then, like, what happened in it was really, really cool. And just, and just like, you know, like, I, I thought for sure the movie's going to end with Thor killing Thanos, but having it just be that beginning that, part yeah. and having Thor just cut off his head and say, what, what? And he's like, I went for the head. That's, I mean, it's fan service, but that's really cool. It happens in the first 
10 <laughs> minutes of the film. Yeah, it's like it's really fast and I was like I thought that for me I was excited because I was like, well, they raised the stakes higher than they needed to be. Because everyone else was kind of going in with the idea that, well, I got to get Thanos. And at the very beginning of the movie, they just get Thanos. And then they're like, oh, but now what? All the stones have been destroyed. And I, th- I had thought they were going to, you know, get to Thanos. The stones were going to be gone. He was going to get away. And it was going to be like a chase to find the stones. And eventually, they, like, the last stone was going to be the time stone. That I mean, would I guess it was to- ultimately kind of that. Kind of, yeah. But to, to do that and then have it cut away with the nicely like little time stamp of the five years later and the slow yeah, gun. The I mean, five, it's, it's pretty obvious. Home, yeah. But like then seeing the world in disarray is cool because like, everything that happens afterwards is kind of cool. You had said in the trailer when you saw sitting Cap- like Captain America sitting in a, a counseling group was going to be not something you wanted to see. They kind of sold it well. I mean, I think it, it was goofy still, but like it's still better than what follows in the next two hours. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, the, I think... That's my problem with the movie is that they have a really excellent setup, like way better than I could have ex- anticipated setup. They have a very strong hour where you kind of get to see how, um, not the structure of the, of life on Earth, but really just the structure of how the Avengers are are, are dealing with this and um, what they're thinking about and how they're thinking about it and you know what's making them sad and what's not making them sad and you get um, the idea that Clint is kind of turned into. Um, you know, a vigilante and just killing yeah. people. That, is, by the way, is that, a good that, idea. That Hiroyuki's uh, Sonata uh, scene where he, he fights um, that Yakuza crime member mm-hmm. is, for me, the best action sequence in the yeah, entire film. It's... That, I uh, was not, I, like, I like Jeremy Renner. I, I thought Hawkeye was kind of a cool character. I'm kind of now want to see a Ronin movie. You're going to do, you're going to do a, a... A subscription to Disney Plus, so you can see the, the oh. Hawkeye TV show. Oh, they're gonna do a TV show, right? Yeah. Shit, I'd rather just see a movie though. With no, the, you gotta sit like, six would, episodes. Like, cause that part was awesome. Like, just seeing this, like, and he sells like being fucked up really well. Yeah, better than I, I just think, assume anybody he's else. like that. Yeah, um, like, but they 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 do that stuff really well, and and the reintroduction of all the characters is really good too. You know, with um, Hulk, Bruce Banner, Hulk, like just fully assimilated into one another and he just walks around all nice and um you said hippie i, I see him as more of a yuppie no he's because he doesn't wear shoes i mean obviously because shoes don't fit him but he's like he's like dapping with kids and like taking pictures with him and stuff and he's there's, very there's, a, lot of, with there's a lot of entertaining jokes with him always eating yeah like, yeah he has a jo- like the part where he has the giant size ben and jerry's ice cream maybe actually laugh because i don't know if they they don't make ben and jerry's ice cream that big they do, but, for, they do for but the Hulk. They do for the Hulk. And then, I mean, the thing that got everyone going more than anything was Fat Thor. Yeah. I mean, Fat Thor is... Fat Thor's son. Uh, it's pretty good. That, um, that Korg scene. Yeah, yeah, Korg yeah. is Because, oh, man, Korg is, is easily one of my favorite well, characters Korg in that Korg telling on a, like, on a kid that they're playing, what is it, Fortnite? <laughs> they're, they're playing Fortnite, Fortnite, Fortnite yeah. with. Which, by the way, quick aside, Fortnite, a game I don't play much more often this often. Oh, anymore they're doing actually a limited time event with avengers endgame which mm-hmm. is like this mode where it's the chatara and thanos trying to get the stones against pe- like characters who become the avengers fun as fuck so if you've played fortnite and got away from it this is fun it's not pivotal film sponsored yeah. by fortnite I mean, <laughs> if you see how much money fortnite makes yeah we'll gladly. T- we'll epic t- games we'll take if your you want to if you want to fund us we will say everything about Fortnite. And then, I mean, and then so the reintroduction of Ant-Man, awesome, which yeah. is really good. And then you get your, I mean, you get a couple of good scenes with families, 
which is cool. You know, um, Clint's family disappears first scene in the movie. Scott's, you know, realizes his daughter's still alive. That's all good. All good stuff. All good stuff. Judy Greer doesn't matter. Judy Greer doesn't matter. Oh, 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 poor Judy Greer. She, <laughs> she really never matters. I, I really thought she was going to be like there was going to be some sort of like like when they're doing all that clips at the end of the sequence. You're going to see like them together. Uh huh. But no, no. no. Eventually, which is fine. Um, yeah, I'm interested to know what happened to Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale. How I come think- Linda Cardinelli gets to like appear in this movie, but Judy Greer doesn't? I don't she's, get it. She's too busy doing the next Halloween movie, maybe. Um, but then, as it and, and even with the family stuff, you get to see awesome. You know, you get to see Robert Downey Jr. actually do some acting, which is really yeah, rare. That entire part with like him and his family, like awesome. I never bought the Gwyneth Paltrow. Pepper Potts, Tony Stark thing. I like I did now. Like, I do now. Like, them has just, like, kind of married couple. And the fact that, like, they skip over the wedding. Like, a lot of the comic book, the, the Cinematic Universe fans are like, oh, the wedding. Maybe the movie will end with the wedding. It doesn't. Uh, but the fact that they're married. They got yeah. married in the interim. And they had know? a baby. Yeah. And she's really cute. And all that stuff is good. And then when they start doing the time travel, that is when Tom Nolan said, I'm all done. Yeah, I, I'm all done. I was I was similar in a lot of ways. I was similar in a lot of ways in that it just becomes really convoluted, and then it's trying to explain so much, but at the same time doesn't have enough time because they have three hours and an hour unnecessary long final hour to deal with. Which Jesus, that that was bride kind of was done. Um, that they just have to cram in a lot, and they cram in stuff that isn't necessary. They kind of leave stuff that isn't necessary. For example, the two scenes of having Tony Stark's, like two or three scenes of having Tony Stark solve the time travel problem. The scene with the daughter. I mean, the scene with the daughter is kind of important to, to establish yeah, yeah, a relationship. Yeah. Maybe see him, like, working on it, you know, mm-hmm. and then talking to the daughter. That, that'd be perfect. With him talking to Pepper, didn't need that because he's just talking about time travel. Him going to meet. Captain America, cut that down. Just have him and Captain America make peace. Because what bothered me was they introduced this tension of Tony Stark doesn't want to do it because of his daughter. Right, which, you know? which is fine. And I thought like a really interesting question they start raising is like, what happens if he undoes it, but somehow in undoing it, he undoes the future that was created? Right. And they kind of do that question. Instead, they're like, no, 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 don't worry. That's not they're real. They're just going to... We're just going to be five years into the future at the end. All these people are just going to come back to 2020, what, 2023. 23, yeah. Um, as what, 2018 when Infinity War happened. Well, just, and, the, and so, like, it just it gets rid of all this dramatic tension and instead focuses on, on things that I just don't and it care turns about. It in, and turns it into 100%. It's not a movie anymore. It's just, like, a retrospective of things that have happened already. Yeah, so and the there's a flashback hour, to the original Avengers movie, and then there's a flashback to, you said... Um, there's a flashback to the original There's, Avengers. Uh, Winter Soldier flashback. Winter Soldier. Uh, you get Guardians, of the first Guardians of the Galaxy. You get and early. Thor, Thor the fucking Dark World. <laughs> Guys, if you really care, if you love Thor the Dark World, roundly, con- I think it's called Thor the Dark World. I don't even remember. Thor, yeah, Thor the I'm Dark. I'm trying World, to yeah. drill that movie out of my brain because of how forgettable it was. I'm actually not because it just left my brain. Well, but if you was- really cared about Thor the Dark World and loved it and wanted to return to it. Guys, you got about 15 minutes I mean, of you know, Thor the Dark World. Someone I didn't want to... Someone, not because I don't like her as an actress, but just because I was just like, why? It was Rene Russo was Thor's mom? What and are she we does, doing? Yeah, she does, a good, she does a good job in that scene. Yeah. But I don't care. I don't need to see it. Like, 
like there's nothing for him to. The only reason uh, he needs that scene needs to happen is he needs to get Moldenir back. Moldenir back. The hammer. Um, but they spent a lot of time with this conversation of Thor finding himself. But Thor found himself in Thor Ragnarok. He found that everything was within him then. He found that like he had the ability then. You don't. You know you need to go there, knock out. You know, uh, imposter Natalie Portman, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I like how they credit her, but I'm pretty sure all her scenes were just, just from, from Thor: The, the Dark yeah. World because there's very clearly a double. Yeah, in I, their um, parts. They I just, should, you know what they should have done? What? They should have just cast Kira Knightley. <laughs> oh, and just see what <laughs> just happens. Remember? No, remember from the Star Wars Attack of the Clones or Phantom Menace? I think it's Attack oh, of the yeah, Clones. Oh yeah, yeah, who played Kira Knightley? Yeah, played the Padme's. Yeah, um, they should just had Kira yeah. Knightley. <laughs> I just, I think. <laughs> Rue says, if you had done that, I would have given you a high this, five. The, yeah. I would have called, I, this would have been my number one film of the year. Dress, Kira Knightley dresses Padme. Yeah. That would have been good. Um, I just don't know. Dresses what, Padme playing Jane Foster. I think it seems like they purposely, they so purposely resisted making a real movie. Yeah, this like just they ends just, up They the, were just like, the oh, first we don't want to do this, so we're just going to, we're just going to go backwards and just re-show all this shit again. The first again. hour they really do. The first hour they're really building stakes, and then the stakes become this victory lap down memory lane and tying everything into a neat bow. Was anyone really hoping that Tony would get a moment to talk to his fucking dad? No. And no, did, why? Who cares? That James Darcy's back from Agent Carter TV show playing Jarvis. One thing those guys next to us didn't know is the fact that Jarvis was on the Agent Carter TV show. Also, the first instance that a Marvel TV show character is on the cinematic universe. So Ooh. that's fun. <laughs> but like, you don't need that. You don't need these trips down memory. The big you need to hit the big ones. You know, Tony and his dad's thing gets kind of resolved in Civil War. You know, Peggy and um. Well, that, I mean, Peggy and Steve, like that's a biggie. But I see again. But I'm. I don't think for I the fans. I guess, but again, so this is the this is the difference. I grew up with these comic books. I grew up reading them. I have a lot of special memories of them. I don't find Captain America the character to be very interesting, and the movie seems to think that he's the most interesting character. He's supposed I to be think, like the moral core. He's the most grounded, I guess, and he's the most like um, relatable in the sense that he's. Oh, it's me. Um, he's the most relatable, but. I just don't, like, and it's a good, I guess it's a good scene when he's just kind of staring at her, like, through the window and stuff. But yeah, I that's nice. But I don't need it. And because I didn't, we didn't need to get back to but 1970 I think, anyway. I think, no, we didn't need to. That, that's just an extension of, like, going further and going on. Um, and I just think, oh, and man. I just, They're bringing I think, back, I just realized Tom Hiddleston's not, not, is coming back. Well, yeah, because he disappears with the Tesseract. I just realized that he, because he's not caught, so he never goes to prison. I mean, so he's here's not my die. thing. Here's my thing, though, too, is that in Captain Marvel, the Tesseract is a really big deal. In this one, they're just like, oh, yeah, we need that box. Oh, three scenes with the box. Oh, now we got it. Yeah. And then it disappears. And there's, the I mean, I, 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 I would, I understand from your point of view, like, the, 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 the Steve, the Captain, Mar- the Captain America thing is, is not unnecessary, but I think for fans, like, they, they do care about that. Like, and I, I, what, what are we doing here, though? That's no, just, I my problem. That. Is that, are we We're making? Not, what are we? Like, and that's that's where it's like: is this movie like has fan service? This movie works. There's parts of this movie where fan service doesn't work. I don't think fans were super invested in the Thorn Frigga relationship. No, they're going to be able no, to get no, no, over no. it and think it's a nice moment. But like, you cut that out. I don't think they care. I think, and you even cut out the Howard Stark part. I don't think they really care. They want. They care about like reading the Reddit threads. They care about. Uh, you know, Steve and Peggy. Like, that's a big thing. They Everyone wants the Whatever. dance. Whatever. I mean, I, again, fine. I don't give a shit. So, um, 
there and there's there's some cool moments that but like my problem once again and we talked about this you know in the non-spoiler part is there's a lot of moments that are supposed to be really clever and like little nods to like stuff and if you haven't seen it or haven't read it it's it doesn't work as well there's a part where you know they're kind of do the the flashback to the winter soldier elevator fight great fight um you know the sorely misused mark grillo who was killed off really quickly in was it civil war um should have been longer because frank gillow's awesome mm-hmm. uh where you know steve leans over captain america leans over and says hail hydra to to jasper mm-hmm. and that's like a good throwback to like the hail height uh, captain america saying hey hydra and the most recent one of the more recent runs where you know captain america joins hydra mm-hmm. like there's like a pause a beat to that they're like Captain America said Hail Hydra, but he's actually doing it because he's a good guy. And it's like, oh, come but on. Nobody, like, you don't thing. need to do these winky, like, Easter eggs. Because nobody shit. in the theater cared. Nobody in the theater was like, ah, ha, ha, I actually went, ah. Oh. No, you did, but, <laughs> but I always assume that you're doing this stuff intellectually because you just kind of have a base of knowledge of this and you're just connecting dots as you're going. But you weren't, like, excited and like, yeah, Hail Hydra. Like, I remember when going to see the originals, like, the, the stupid prequel Star Wars movies and anytime anyone said anything that had anything to do with the New Hope Empire Return of the Jedi the whole fucking theater went woohoo yeah and this is my problem with like the riot like just to like the, these little nod backs like just are unnecessary if they're not adding something to the film right the, I mean the Rise of Skywalker trailer before Avengers has the Emperor Palpatine laughing and I'm like oh are we God. doing this are well, we going back to this it's, it's when the movie starts, like, so the first couple of things of that trailer, I'm just like, I'm all in for whatever this movie is. Because I think Daisy Ridley is really good as Ray. I think Adam Driver is really good as Kylo Ren. I should we, we timestamp the end of our Star Wars conversation? Yeah. <laughs> I think, um... And those John things, Boyega and Oscar yeah, Isaac and are all great. those things are new. And this... These... Because we are just... Kylo Ren's the best villain of the series to and me. Be, but... Because of the nature of our culture, we can't just accept new fucking things and and appreciate them for what they are. We have to keep fucking cranking like on the old timey well crank, trying to drag some stuff up from the old. Yeah. I don't want to see eighty year old Billy D. Williams laughing, driving the Millennium Falcon. Do something else. If it had been Donald Glover, that would yeah. have been. Has no Calrissian. But I feel they like just, the same, they just got rid of Dave. Lillian. I feel like the same thing with this movie. And my problem, I don't want to yeah. see if they're going to do time, the time travel thing bothered the fuck out of me, and I'm swearing a lot in this thing because now I'm angry because it just we just it's late and we just wasted three hours. I feel like anyway, like I don't know. So I got to stare at Brie we, Larson and Scarlett. We Dan just chopped off Thanos' head. Okay, but of course, now that we're doing time travel, here comes Thanos, and what are we going to do with Thanos? Oh, oh! I mean, I love the Black Order, so that was awesome. Yeah, we're going to do the Black also, Order again. We're going to do nothing with the Black Order. Right? Who's the Who are the best four characters? Like villain, villainous characters. There's four or five of them. There's four of them. Yeah. Okay. Like we're going to do. We're going to yeah. do all this Cor- again? I got really excited seeing Corpus Glob, Corpus Glob again because uh-huh. like, he was fucking awesome and gets killed in such an easy way in Infinity War, and I was like, this guy fucking rocks. And then he lit, like, like we're gonna get to the ending part. We're just like finish up that middle part, but then he just like dies really yeah. easily again. And no, that's my problem. And my special problem with this middle part is this like nostalgia trip. Is for nostalgia that's only like ten years old. And that's nostalgia, nostalgia for something that just happened. It's that's no- not Infinity nostalgia. War just happened. We have to yeah. do this again. Avengers happened seven years ago. I mean, if you're a little kid, if you like are a little kid who like if you're fifteen or younger. 
yeah, that's nostalgia. But, like, this movie feels like it's geared more towards, like, the 20s, 30s crowd, 40s, like, the comic book fans. That's not nostalgia. Something that happened 11 years ago isn't nostalgic. We are just now in the mid-90s becoming, like, oldie music. Yeah. Had this been 90s, had, like, this series started in the 90s, like, had Ang Lee's Hulk been the first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or, or, director, or director Unknown's X-Men, then <laughs> the, sorry, what is, what is it, uh, Der- Dexter Fletcher's yeah. X-Men. <laughs> you know what, guy? Movie. You got the credit. Yeah. Hey, I bet you would have made a much better X-Men. Uh, had, had been the start. Nostalgia runs would have actually been kind of somewhat fun. Um, but it's but, dumb. It's just it's not that. It, it, isn't, it isn't that thing. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a nostalgia it's trip something for... Else. It's, it's just a constant beating of this drum so like you don't forget. Or like it's a movie made for people that have attention deficit disorder. You know what I mean? Like, oh, did you not remember what happened in Infinity War? Oh, we're going to do it again and Thanos is going to re... Is gonna you know redo all the stuff? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh the stones are. I'm just gonna go get the stones again. It's like, yeah, and let's okay, let's lead it. Let's fine, lead into this fine, final. Fine. Let's lead into this final act. I fuck like this is so you lost in the second act. I was okay. I was annoyed with the nostalgia trip, but like it did some hit some marks that I liked. Like like the hail hydra thing, I thought was like oh come on, it's a little bit of a thing, but like clever. Tilda Swinton coming back was fucking was awesome because yeah, yeah. I love Tilda Swinton. And, and her having a, a conversation with Bruce Banner. And, like, all these other, good. like, getting the stones was so, like, such a drastic thing. And it's literally Mark Ruffio, who's a good actor, and Tilda Swinton, who's a great actor, coming together and talking shit out. Well, and was I, the most fucking interesting stone well, grab for me. I kind of liked the... And we won't say... We won't, there's two things we won't spoil. Do you think... No, we can spoil anything. Everyone's, so, everyone's seen this movie. The, Clint, the people who are here don't care, or they've seen they've everything. They've seen it, yeah. So the, um, the Hawkeye-Black Widow scene... I actually thought it was like a. It was oh, that was un, good. It was no, unnecessary, was but I thought it looked good. And, and that and that was like the one subversion of what I expected. I was like, oh, you know, Clint's gonna die because they has to die because he's like turned so badly. And then like when he gets shocked and she's running towards the thing and he blows her up and he jumps off. I'm like, yeah, of course, and have her grab him and then die. And you're like, oh, of course. Then you're like, oh, wow, I actually didn't expect that to happen. Uh huh. And it ran ourselves that emotion there. Yeah, it was good. Um, but then you also got like, oh, wait, of course Black Widow had to die. She doesn't have a family. Renner had something to like... This movie's centered around, <laughs> in a lot of ways, early on, Renner's character, like that, that Ronin yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hawkeye character. So, of course, she had to die. And that's that's a good scene, too. I Not as good as the time zone scene, because I just fucking loved Ruffalo and Tilda Swinton talking about Oh, no, about no, 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 no. I'm just saying that, like... Rooftop, but that's good, a, too. In, when they break this stuff up and it becomes... The movie becomes smaller is when the movie, for me, is it, the it's most better. alive. Because you have really good actors. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson kind of sleepwalks her way through this. I don't like her performance Well, they, they gave her... They, they, they'll they give her a lot to do and she seems frustrated. They the emotional core of, like, the Avengers thing. Like, she's the only one that doesn't seem to really be getting on, but they also gave her the worst lines to say. Yeah. So, it's kind of a, you know, and do the felt, most work and say the worst shit. She felt frustrated. Like... Yeah. Like, they talk about how, like, frustrated, like, Brie Larson is, like, with the fans and everything, but, like, Scarlett Johansson just feels frustrated with what she's given. Brie Larson just looks like she's having a fuck ton of fun. Which is like what they do. And all these really good actors are having a lot of fun. And so that's fun to watch. Yeah. But then you get into this last act. So, you know, they collect all the stones. You guys have just seen this. But they collect all the stones. Nebula is bad Nebula. 
Karen Gillian doesn't really Who do a I good like. job. I, I like. I know I she doesn't really do a good job playing like two different parts. I mean, I know they're both yeah, kind of emotionally vacant. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to strike a difference. And I just I thought there should be some meat there. She's new to like she brings a freshness and an aliveness yeah. to the movie that doesn't exist in other parts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so everyone like, else is just kind of sleepwalking through it, and she's like, "I'm only somebody because of this." It's um, oh, a six pack. Yeah. Good job, Becky. I thought this would be a four pack. Um, and so, you know, Thanos comes through the 2014 Thanos, which man, this is this is going to bring up a lot of questions for movies going forward, which is going to be interesting to me, but probably interesting to nobody else. Um, well, how do they reconcile the the time frame? Here? How they reconcile like Thanos now going into the future, blah blah blah, and all these stones are gone. I guess they're gone. They have to go. Oh, because they no, go back in time. America brings they bring them back. back. Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Got it. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers in case you watched the first two hours and left. So, you know, they have to have this big climactic battle. You know, Thanos attacks, everyone... Whoa, Jesus, that's a big spike. Thanos attacks, everyone's gone and dead. Like, not dead, but just hurt. Um, and then there's, like, this big opening of portals because, every, because you know, Hulk snapped his fingers. That seems good because I kind of was expecting Hulk to... Like, I was expecting Hulk I to die. I thought he was going to die, too. I thought, that was a really, I thought that was a good scene, yeah. And I was sad because I'm... I want to see more Mark Ruffalo. Like, Mark Ruffalo has really come into his own in the last three movies. Well, they figured him, they think they figured out a tone for Hulk. Yeah, he That isn't just sad, old-school, 1970s, no, like, you he's know, just, Lou Ferrigno-style Hulk. He's a scientist who's a nerd who's having a, who, like, had a really hot girlfriend for a while and is just having a lot of fun mm-hmm. being a superhero. And, yeah. like, that is his role, and he's doing, like, excellent with it. So when he snapped his fingers, I was like, ah, oh, shit, they're going to kill off Hulk here. And he didn't, and I was happy about that. But then, you know, Thanos attacks, and then bringing back all the heroes, you have that big moment of Strange opening the portals for everyone, and that scene, like, having the big climactic showdown is awesome. And that's where everyone kind of, that's where the audience started to get into it. Yeah, the second you see Black Panther, you see Black Panther emerge, the first one, everyone's cheering. Uh, Everyone cheers, too, and I think the the biggest applause, though, was a little bit before that, where Mol- uh, Captain America finally holds up Moldenir and yeah, 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 um, yeah. Everyone got pumped which is which I even I was like, that's kind of fucking cool. That's cool, yeah. Like yeah. Th- those fans are like like I said for fan service it works, but then we get like what feels like a thirty to forty minute long fight sequence overall of just bat. It's probably about twenty to thirty minutes maybe, but it just is forever. It's a lot of and it's a lot of CGI and because of here's but the thing. my big problem with this right is. The Black Order got done dirty in Infinity War. They are just nonsense. Like, they're just thrown apart in Infinity War. And they have, like, that big guy, I don't know his name. I don't know the names of Like, Proxima Midnight is cool. Yeah, I know Ebony. And, but the big Ebony guy Ma, is... Proxima Midnight. Um, I don't... Oh, sorry. Ebony Maw is the one I was thinking of, not Corvus Glob. Ebony Maw is, like, awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think Corvus Glob is the big guy. Like, the, the other two are just kind of there. But, like, those two are really awesome. And you think you're going to have really awesome moments. Mm-hmm. And then they don't. It becomes literally the last twenty minutes becomes like a fight scene, and then a game of rugby well, with, they, the, yeah, they with the gauntlet. With the gauntlet yeah. But it's just like it's just passing, constant passing, and it, it it like there's just these like small set pieces, but it's really small set pieces, and they're and again, set pieces I don't care about. I only see like three minutes of Spider-Man killing a bunch of and Shikara. then and then he gets buried under them, and then again, and this happens all the time in these movies, like. Also, set it spoilers, up. by the way, when uh, Carol Davers sees Peter Parker, I was like, oh, wait, he's supposed to be 15. Because I was like, I kind of shipped them in that moment when they, when they <laughs> said hi. I was like, how old is how old's Carol supposed to be again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, um, be, I'd be on board. Would you I, not be on board a Captain Marvel no, Spider-Man? because I was too bothered by the fact that 
Carol in the in like the first part of the movie was like, I'm gonna be a while. Dot dot dot. Oh, I'm gonna come back literally at the exact moment they needed her to come back. Yeah, and to be honest, when they were firing at that, I was like, Who's firing who's flying a ship? And then all of a sudden she came through and I was like, Oh right, Captain Marvel's in this movie. And like I guess she just had a movie, so I guess and Black Panther just had a movie too, so I guess they didn't want to spend too much time like with like reintroducing those characters, but if you have Captain Marvel, and I guess they're just setting up the drama at the end, why not like make her a character? Or you know, just when you're doing <laughs> when you're doing thing. the major time travel thing, maybe find a way to get in contact with Captain Marvel and be like, hey, you know, Rocket Raccoon, sorry buddy, <laughs> sit this one out. Yeah, we're gonna bring Captain, or you know, like Ant- I guess Ant Man would have to go, but Rocket, Rocket, you gotta sit this one out. <laughs> or you know, Carol. Here's like four pin particles. You handle all of it. Because you're shown to be like, besides when Thanos uses the uh, power stone. Yeah, yeah. Like, besides when he punches her, like, she's indestructible. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she flies right through that ship. She kicks, she beats the shit out of, Captain, uh, out of Thanos yeah. single handedly. And he, he requires a power stone so, to and pun- I, like, so, defeat her. I mean, I'll say the thing that I liked most about this movie, I think, was. Josh Brolin. And I think it's because he invests Thanos with... He, I like the idea... I like the line, I'm inevitable. Yeah. And he clearly believes he's inevitable. I'll also give the team that made Thanos look like Thanos a lot of credit, too, because... The he character CGI really, is really... The character CGI. Some of the wider shot CGI is a little questionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all the character CGI is really good. I think they almost have the aging down. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like... I don't Last know, year, that Michael Douglas de-aging see, seemed... Michael Douglas' de-aging looked a lot better than it did a year ago, is mm-hmm. all I'm say. A year ago, it looked bad in Ant-Man and the Wasp, like around the eyes. But they didn't need now to Now it's a little much. better. Because they just did his whole face. So I guess we all should have high hopes for the Irishman. But I, I just like the idea that yeah, he's... Well, but Samuel Jackson looked perfect in Captain yeah, yeah, Marvel. Yeah. But that's also because Samuel Jackson's just like, oh, let me take off the age makeup I always have on the ship. Like, it looked like and my seven scar. Um... I just like the idea that he seems like he's really suffering. And yeah. that and all of the emotions that he's conveying to us in his exposition dumps seem real. And they and seem like, like even, he's con- he's simultaneously conflicted, um, but determined and 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 when it's not going right, his the idea that he's inevitable is really kind of causing him to causing him some internal grief within even, himself. And I think even and this isn't stated, and I, I don't like I don't know if this is, is like it's meant it's it's was written as a line to show like Thanos is now the big bad super evil. He's going to destroy the entire universe and become God, mm-hmm. basically and recreate the universe. But like Brolin sells that with like this kind of like I don't really want to do this, but like I have to. Like, he sells, like, he becomes the Mad Titan, you yeah. know? Like, he's like, I, Except when he's I'm the Tom only... Tom Hanks and Castaway. But that's... Which... In the beginning, when he's living on his hut, oh, eating the that, fruits. I thought that was pretty fun, though. But he's not, he thought, like, he thought he had done what he needed he to do. He done what he needed to do, yeah. But, like, in the end, when he realizes he's, he's wrong, like, Josh Brolin, his, his line delivery sells that with, like, a, I guess I'm going to have to go even further now. Mm-hmm. But he's like, there's, like, this weird sort of shakiness to it. Like, even though it's supposed to be a strongly delivered line, mm-hmm. that makes it seem like he doesn't even know. Like, his inevit- he's starting to question now the inevitability, because he thought only half would matter. Like, would be what he needed would to do. Would be enough, and then but people would just be like, oh, we can do this. But now to recreate the yeah. universe makes him go, like, oh. You know, like, he's actually, that's the moment you go, this guy's gone mad. Mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed they killed him, too. I thought, I thought they should have just, uh, 
don't know. I kind of want him to. I, I kind of want last, him to stay alive. I like. Uh, I like the idea of him kind of fading away. Well, I, I, and like when he dies, it's good because I think that's the best death scene in the entire movie. No fuckers. Oh no, Black Widow. But uh, well, I don't. The only thing I don't like about the Black Widow death thing is that her body is perfectly composed. Like when she hits the ground, there's a blood splatter around her. Or is that just her hair? Her, no, it's, her hair is blood, red. It's blood splatter. But even still, like it's just kind of like, oh, Black Widow. Yeah. Um, but like his kind of like just defeat and just sitting down, like looking around and like, oh, I lost. <laughs> like, well, it's the like idea just, of pondering was, the cosmic inevitability, like the failure of cosmic inevitability. Well, like it what, didn't come to fruition. What the hell does that mean? Yeah, and it really reminded me of uh, you know Gary Oldman in The Professional of just the shit. Mm-hmm. You know the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which also involved a little snapping of the neck. And... Gary Oldman would have been uh, would have been good in that role also. But Josh Brolin is great. In it. He did but good. Yeah. This this last entire battle scene is just too long. It has a passing moment, and I'm gonna should I, should I bring this moment up? The moment that really fucking pissed me off. So I don't know what my moment. I is. turned to you and said, "Isn't this kind of sexist?" Oh yeah, but it's so. There's a moment where all the women. Superheroes well, be come together though? because it's like we're giving it's like a point to be like we're giving you this moment right and it's like but I I I have a problem with like having to show like we're giving the women can do this and it's like yeah of course the women can do it fucking oh, Carol Davers is fucking kicking ass you know yeah I mean I like, don't really care I mean part of like me, you like you're I saying you're ca- saying women are stupid like like need to have this mo like I don't know I I, I don't know Tessa Thompson's writing a unicorn so or a or a, a, a Pegasus a, a Pegasus yeah um. Um, like they look fucking awesome. Like they've been fucking awesome for a while. I mean, that was like, and like it just felt that like was, it was like just hey guys, yeah. hey guys. They uh, even Gwyneth Paltrow in the Iron Man suit kind of like works. That was awesome, know? yeah. Um, and it's like this moment, like they all come together. And it's like yeah. And it's like when you point. It's it's my problem with the WWE's like wrestling. By the way, guys, I'm a wrestling fan. Sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, like they're doing this women's revolution thing, and they just had the main event with a women's main event, and they used it as like a marketing ploy, and they sell it like yeah. women are now on top. And like when you're doing that, you're discrediting it. You're like saying, "I'm only doing this so we can show off how equal we and are." And see, I had a more narrative problem with it in the sense that um, I'm <laughs> pretty sure Captain Marvel just flew through a, a spaceship. And was yeah, fine. Captain Marvel could have I don't know like, if she needs anybody else to help her get like, this glove from one end of this, you know, wherever they are like, to the other. Thanks, uh, Siri, for being here. <laughs> yeah, that was your laser arms were really helpful in me you flying have, you have through no face, everybody. You have no face cover. You're gonna get shot in the head. At and I don't point. know if you know this, but when I hit people, they just kind of explode. Also, I could, so I could just send like an energy beam through everyone. But like that moment, like really bugged me. I was like, come on, like Marvel, Disney, you don't need to do this. You are doing. You've already done this by showing how good they standing side by side. You know, it's like it's like say say like the U.S. Army being like, yeah, we're going to be you know we're going to have women equality in combat by having entire women battalions. And it's like, huh, that seems like that is uh, the opposite of, yeah. of what equality is. And right. that actually kind of was the moment that like really set me off. Was like, I'm done with this. And that's we. It's a weird thing to say, but like that it for little girls and whatnot. To, to, God, Hating a man there were saying no this. little girls there. Hating a man saying this, but like it just is is my feeling, and you know, go off on me if I'm wrong, you know, and and I'd be great to be, I'd love to be taught, but I just felt you didn't need to show that, and that in itself undoes a lot of the good work they they've tried to they, they they've been doing in terms. It of It would the be cool if it was more organic. Yeah, that's but why my problem is so it just, inorganic. It literally just happened where like they're standing there, and then I think there's a couple of 
characters standing there, and then everyone just kind of was like, shoop, it was shoop, shoop, what, all every, of them, except every for Black Widow. female character. Although it would have been cool oh, if yeah. they got a Jedi ghost of Black Widow. <laughs> like, just, just walk up also and kick somebody in the face. Um, Michelle, or if they had, like, old Michelle Pfeiffer wasps pop in. Yeah, what happened to old Michelle Pfeiffer wasps? She's, we need she, that. She, man, she's, she's been fucked up for a while. She's been in the quantum realm for a long time. She, she was in the quantum realm for a long time, and then she and then she disappeared. Yeah, she's had a bad like yeah. three weeks. To I am. Um, um, I just like, think. I mean, and then, and then Iron Man dies after killing everyone, which is cool. Which is good. Which yeah. is cool. I, I mean, like. I like the death scene. I like he didn't have like a big final line. I like he's really weak in the end. I'm Iron Man, and then he just kind of is like, and he's just kind of weak and kind of like blubbering. And then Gwyneth Paltrow says, "Like rest now." Like Gwyneth Paltrow's the one's like, "Oh, you're dying." Mm-hmm. Like I thought she was really. I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow. She's fucking good at this. Well, I th- so I think something interesting that just happened was that Gwyneth Paltrow. Maybe it didn't just happen. It like happened, but it happened in like the last few months or so. It was Gwyneth Paltrow announcing that like she's not going to act anymore. Like she's just done oh, really? with acting, because I think I'm assuming that someone in Marvel is just like you need to say something because we're not going to deal with the next five years of like Gwyneth Paltrow's the new Iron Man things, because like it's all set up for. If they wanted to, like, Gwyneth Paltrow could be the new Iron Man, because that's just, it's just, it was right there in the movies. Yeah. Gwyneth well, Paltrow, Iron Man. I think if they're going to keep doing Iron Man movies, it's going to be, it's going to be War Machine movies, right? I, well, they're, but they're not going to do that, because... Do you think they're going to get, do you think War Machine's going to still be around? No, it's all, I think, I think, think most of these, I think most of these characters are all done. I actually don't think they're going to make another Avengers movie. I think they're done with They're going to make Avengers. a new Avengers movie. No, I, I don't think they will, because I don't think they're going to bother... I put a bet on this. What do you want to bet? Timestamp it. We're gonna make a bet here. Fifty-seven minutes. Has to be a good one. All right, we'll think about it through the whole yeah. the whole episode. At the uh, end, we'll think, roll it out. You know, I don't bet. think they will because it will just. I mean, obviously, they don't mind redundancy, and we can wrap this conversation right, gonna, up whatever we're we want to. We're gonna be talking about black. There's gonna be black panther. There's gonna be all that. Yeah, and, like, this like is the, the, let's, like let's talk about the finale. Era of the thing. Let's talk about the, the finale really quick. You know, Thanos dies. Iron Man dies. They have the funeral sequence, which is they, stupid. They, but, yeah. they show all the characters throughout the universe in their little group. Ty Simpkins is there. Me and you both thought it was a- you thought it was Asia Butterfield, and I was like, "Oh, it must be a superhero that's coming later." And it's like, "Oh no, it's Ty Simpkins from Iron Man 3. And was like, that Asia Butterfield? No, it's Ty Simpkins. Oh no, that's the character. Oh, oh was, that's the, character. The, no, the actor was Ty, Ty Simpkins. Simpkins okay. Yeah, um, he played like the Asia little kid in Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. You know, the funeral scene's fine. Um, it wraps up the things, and eventually, it, it, it finishes the story with. Um, and was there? Was there any other look? Oh, Thor's now with the Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think's great. I actually yeah, think it's a great Guardians idea. Of the Galaxy, like Chris yeah. Hemsworth is a fucking really good comedic actor. Like the only reason I'm somewhat okay with this new Men in Black movie coming out is the fact that Chris Hemsworth is when he's allowed to be a comedian, he's really solid. He's the best part of that Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's great. Like Thor Ragnarok is by far the best of the Thors. You know, so now him in the very heavily comedic. Marvel movies is a great idea. Yeah, and he doesn't need to be like the star anymore. So like when he wants to like eventually leave, he can kind of quietly just exit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets that last scene with you know Chris Evans going back in time, and like obviously the second he goes back in time, it's like oh yeah he's not coming back. Uh, you get old Captain America passing off the shield surprisingly to Anthony Mackie to Anthony Mackie's Falcon, which is a uh, terrible idea. Yeah, uh, he's not super soldier spirit serum, so I don't know what, nope. what's going on there. He doesn't have anything. Yeah, like, I'm cool with, like, I like Anthony Mackie. I don't know if he I can I like carry, Anthony Mackie, too. I don't know if he can carry a movie as an actor yet. Which makes me think we're going to see a lot of Captain America in the Black Widow movie. We're going to see a lot of Captain America in... Well, the Black in... Widow movie's going to be a prequel. Right. Oh, I guess that's true. No, but if... 
time travel though now, Mario. Time travel. No, because they say you can't undo that. But there is that stinger of you know um, what the fuck's a Quill looking for Gamora. By the way, what happened to Gamora? That Gamora. Well, that she Gamora would have disappeared. Dies? Yeah, she would have disappeared. He snap, but he snaps his finger and kills only the bad. So people? I'm assuming we've just gotten our. But they would have shown Guardians of the Galaxy three, right? It's they, like yeah. some kind of Guardians of the Galaxy: The Search for Gamora. No, I think everyone knew that that Guardians of the Galaxy three was going to be about searching for Gamora. So Does obviously, that, mean that Guardians of the Galaxy four is about whales. <laughs> I hope so. Humpback whales in the eighties. Um, so obviously, going to be about searching for a way to undo the Soul Stone thing and get Gamora back. You know, so I see. We, but did that Gamora die? Because Let's we just, didn't see... I mean, I think they, they want to leave it up in the air to see, like, do we right, want this we Gamora who doesn't know anything? Right. Like, being there while they try to get the air Gamora I mean, back? And then, but, like, so Anthony Mackie can't carry movies. Like, but Sebastian Stan, I think, can. Who cares? I mean, it doesn't, who yeah. Who gives a shit? But it ends in the final scene of the dance, which was, I think, the good cap end. I had seen that cap end coming for a long time, but the dance with Peggy, you know, and that's how the movie ends. And that was a good cap in. And that's like 100% the, the sign that it was fan service. Like, yeah. it is a fan service movie. It does, it hits all the marks pretty well of fan service. But as a movie, it's, it has so many dragged out moments. It has those moments of going back to Thor the Dark World or the time travel stuff happening over and over again. It have these moments of nostalgia that don't need to be there. That's just ultimately kind of, I don't know, a well, thing I just, that I, I watched. I just don't, it's funny because they seem. Marvel has always seemed like, and we could probably end on this. Marvel has always seemed like they had, they knew what they were doing. You know what I mean? They had a real plan as to what the next steps were always going to be. The end of this movie kind of illustrates to me that they don't really know what they're doing because if they're, they knew what they're doing to this point. They knew how that, right? Like they're like, oh, we got the. Th-. I think maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know. What but they're if they're do making, next. if they're making, they've already they've announced what, like about you know they haven't announced what the next movie after Far From Home is, but. They've announced that certain things are coming. Well, they're doing... Because uh, they're doing the Black Widow movie. They're doing... Um... Disney Plus has a whole series. It has a Vision uh, Scarlet Witch show. It has a Hawkeye show. It has a... Um... Uh, Shang-Chi's going to be made. Yeah. Is, is, is probably the next... The first... Maybe the first movie in the next I don't next think cycle? so. I don't think it's being... I don't think it's in production yet. I think it's just in... I think it's in all... In, I think a lot of the stuff is all in pre-production. Um, but... If time, well, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy three is probably the first. And they movie want to go on. more space. They've said that that they want to go more space. Well, yeah, because because they call, want, it, calling it early here. Galactus is the right. next big bed. If in time, the next Avengers movie, if time travel is on the our ta- next Avengers series, because there's going to be Avengers movies after right. this. If time travel is on the table you said here, right? So you agree? Okay. If time travel is on the table here, that just means we're going to be doing a lot of back and forth, more rehashing of shit that already happened, and that see, it says to me. That all oh, of you people, right, all of you particles. people that are gonna do, that are gonna, that are, have been following this for a, a, eleven whole years, um, they're not interested in you. They're not interested in like showing you new things anymore. They're just interested in you giving them their money, and they know you like X, so they're gonna do Z. I will say this though. There's one. I will say there's. And then we can finish on this. The nice thing about this is it doesn't have the after credit sequence and everything. So if you, yeah, of course they're saying like, we want to keep going and we want money. But if you just want to watch these 22 movies and be done, there's nothing at the end of this that kind of like, there's some things like says, oh, there's going to be a future generation that's going to carry this on. But there's no stinger. There's nothing in it besides like that slight little Guardians of the Galaxy stinger. Um, there's nothing in it that says like, 
that you need to keep watching or there's like a lead in or there's no suspense building up to something else in the future but this are some ultimate big thing so i give them credit for like going if you're done here you know this this is like the the metro north train that you can get off at this station you know that's i give them credit for like not in not having a post-credit sequence and going like, by the way, this is the next big bad. I'm sure they're saving that for Spider-Man. But I'm also sure there was a Spider-Man trailer at the beginning of that movie. Oh, yeah, but... We didn't get into late, so we don't know, but But I'm sure there was. The movie itself at least kind of bookmarks it. Like, it works as a book bookend. Yeah, I mean... Like, so it, it does exist to wrap up everything, and it doesn't leave a lot of question... It doesn't leave a big enough question to where if you're kind of done... You know, you're not going to have a nagging feeling that you missed anything if you get off here. Well, like, yeah, because, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is not coming back. Chris Evans is not coming back. Um, you know, these the, the foundations of this franchise are, are, all, are all finished. Except for and, Samuel Jackson. Except for Samuel Jackson, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Scarlett Johansson, I, I guess she's going to come gonna back. The, they're going to do, the, they're gonna do the Black Widow movie, but, like, they can't do Black Widow arc is done. prequels forever. Yeah. Um, so... There's, these are just these are things they're gonna have to refigure out what they're what they're doing. And yeah, and Thor's becoming a background guy now, and, and it seems like time time travel and space are are big into this. And I, I, I for one, am probably not gonna go see whatever next space movie. I find I find the Guardians of the Galaxy movies really obnoxious, so I wouldn't see them on purpose anyway. But like, I just it seems like the direction here is not is not clear or very interesting. Yeah, and that's. I think that's fine. I think it's good to like bookmark, like bookend it though. Like it's, they did that job, sure. and it worked as fan service. It doesn't work as a movie. I think. I mean, I'm going to see Far From Home just because I'm a fucking huge Mysterio guy. Like, I that's my like of the comic books I've read. Mysterio's always been my favorite. It super also villain. looks like a fun movie. Yeah, and like those movies are fun. Tom Holland's great. I think yeah, he's good. Jake Gyllenhaal's always a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the space stuff. I'm kind of like it. Kind of gets to a point where it becomes too much fantasy for me. Mm-hmm. Um. So I do give them credit for at least creating something where if you want to be done, you can be done. But as a movie itself, it's just it's too long. It drags on. It has too many weird flaws that don't need there, to be there. And there's just, too much of some characters. Or there's not enough of some characters. It's just... You get 20 minutes of Josh Brolin, which is disappointing. You get less than 20 minutes of, of um, Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. Like, like the most charismatic character they've come up with in like five years. And they're just like, yeah, let's go over here. Just you're fine. You don't do anything. Oh, everyone's waiting to see more Black Panther. Yeah, he gets two lines, and one of them he's got his mask on for. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, let's just yeah, and a lot of but a lot of Spider Man who you'll see in two months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like t- we could add two lines from Spider Man because he's coming back. He's coming back in yeah. two months. <laughs> um, I don't know, but yeah. Uh, all right, so yeah. that's it. Spoilers are over. I don't have a I don't have a spoilers or over yeah. We usually signal. finish like saying like see this movie, but you've already seen this movie. If you really liked it, I guess go see it again. I'm going to recommend you don't start from the beginning though. It's not that important. It's if like you're you haven't seen any of them yet, and you're just and like you're what's just, this like, movie? And you just don't care about spoilers. Just if you don't care about spoilers, but you haven't seen it, doesn't matter. I mean, if, it doesn't if you matter. Re- I mean, if you cared so much, you wouldn't have listened to the spoiler thing. If you're just curious about, it. if you have a like I do Game of Thrones curiosity, where I just finally started like. I watched a little bit of it because I'm, I'm kind of interested in this like final thing, just because my friends are into it. It's the same way where like ultimately I think after Game of Thrones is over, somebody like me would have been like, "You don't need to watch this." 
No, you don't need to watch this. Nobody, I mean, there's the thing, unless you've been following it, there's no real reason to see it because it's not for you. Yeah, it's just, it's just <laughs> the people that have spent 11 years of their life waiting with bated breath for, you know, each movie to come you, out yeah, every it's six like, months. Do you like to see three pound men throw a football? No? Well, then I won't watch football. Do you like to see a bunch of weird superpowers doing weird cosmic things? No? Then just don't watch these. Or, and, yeah. So, there you go. All right. We'll be, um... Right back with our number 65s, which seems, <laughs> which seems strange. A real hard left on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back. Um, oh, was that on purpose? Yeah, that's it was on purpose. Music? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm, putting, I'm putting this together like as we're doing it, so, you know. The rush, 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 Throwing rush. this off, yeah. Um, so my number 65 is John Cassavetti's 1959 film, Shadows. Motion picture critics around the world acclaim America's newest film triumph. Listen to the London Times. Few films in recent years have received more critical acclaim, and Shadows deserves it. Again and again, the raves repeat their acclamation. Please don't touch me. Please don't touch me. I want to go home. And the Daily Mirror describes Lelia Goldoni's performance as blazingly brilliant. And the Daily Express says this, the most truthful love scene you have ever seen. Shadows, directed by John Cassavetes, breaks all the barriers of conventional filmmaking. And I say it with a question mark, a little bit of a question mark there, because this is another one of those movies that we've kind of, you know, we've run into in the process of, of doing this podcast where... The thing that you originally saw in the movie that made it a pivotal film, once you go back and watch it, is not there anymore. And it doesn't mean it's not a pivotal film because it inspired you to go in a lot of different directions and to to go other places and to do other things, but it is not a movie that informs... In 2018, is going to inform aspects of your life in the same way. Um... So I am one of those people that um, likes... I hate things that are derivative of things. So, like, the example that I always use is that... um, You know when people were really into Modest Mouse for a little bit? Everyone was really obsessed with Modest Mouse. Um, And I was like... I heard it, and I was just like, this is just the talking heads, but louder and faster and way more obnoxious. So I'm just going to listen to the talking heads. In the 2000s, when everyone was aping the Stooges or, like, the Velvet Underground, I was like, I'll just, I'll just listen to the Stooges and the Velvet Underground. I don't need to do this. There's no reason to kind of rehash these things. To that end, I've always kind of searched for the original, for the original thing. And, and Shadows isn't an original thing in the sense that, you know, um, it, it looks a lot like what some of the other, like, the French New Wave, like auteurs were doing you know what i mean like it's, not, it's cinema verite sh- of yeah cinema shadows verite. looks a, shadows looks a lot in some ways like something like breathless you know what i mean it just mm-hmm. it just kind of does it has the same kind of freewheeling attitude towards film um well, i just smell pepperoni for some reason oh that's good modern pizzas yeah that could be it. um so to that end like 
those are the early 2000, like 99 to early 2000 were a big year for me for, for, for seeing movies. And it kind of it opened my eyes to, to like where it made me think about like where this stuff came from. So I was working at a bookstore at the time and, um, that Down and Dirty Pictures, did you ever read Down and Dirty Pictures, the Pete Biskin book about like the er, the early 90s Miramax kind of independent film no, I revolution? I read that book and then I went and read Biskin's previous book, which is Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. Did you read, did you read that book? Um, so it's about that. My, my, my depth of knowledge in terms of the bibliography of film is, is limited. I'm right. just starting to get I'm, on that. So, so is mine. I'm just kind of – these are – Yours is definitely I, more verbose. Than because that. I was moving through this stuff, I was, you know, I was like, I was hunting for these things, and so, along with that, like a, the year before, I read Down and Dirty Pictures. IFC released like a really long documentary called A Decade Under the Influence, which covered the same time period as um, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. Uh, you know, so it's, and the question on all of these things is always, where did this stuff come from? So, like, your 60s, 1960s independent films, like, you know, your Easy Riders and um, all those other, those filmmakers who were, who were just making stuff on their own and doing transgressive things, like, where did that come from? And the place that all of them said they came from was John fucking Cassavetes. They were all just like Cassavetes, Cassavetes, Cassavetes. And that's Friedkin and Scorsese and all of these guys was just like, this is our guy. We all worship at the altar of Cassavetes. So, of course, I had to go get myself some Cassavetes. And luckily for me, because I was a junkie at the time, Criterion just released this eight-disc box set of five films plus a you know, documentary and all this other stuff of John Cassavetes. And the movie that just changed... That didn't change something. That redefined what this stuff looked like was um, was shadows, and like I had already seen um, Breathless. I'd, you know, I've seen like the Italians, like Ant- Antonio and Fellini, and some Bergman, and like I had the Truffaut, the Antoine Janelle box set. Um, and I, I I saw some of these movies, but those movies all seemed so movie, so staged. And so, like, composition was a really big deal in, obviously, all those movies. Um, Sound design, all this other stuff. And Shadows was just a mess. But it was, was, at the time, I just perceived it as, like, the most free movie that I'd ever seen. And I just kind of wanted to find more stuff that was like that. And I, I had been into, you know... I'm into, I was into jazz and I was into music and stuff like that. But that I, I can honestly say that this movie definitely pushed me further into art that was perhaps could be perceived as non-art. Um, so like free jazz and things like toneless, songless music, ambient music, um, you know, Lou Reed's metal machine music, which is just an hour of just squealing noise and stuff like that. That stuff to me, um, shadows. There was a dissonance to it that made me want to seek out more things like that. Um, like I said in the beginning, though, I just watched this for the first time in a number of years last week to do this podcast, and it is not. The feeling's not the same. It is a. It is a slog now. It is a. It is a. You know, it is what it is. It's a 
it's a it's a film nightmare in a lot of ways. It, from in the sense that you know, from a sound and picture and, and whatever perspective, um, I still really I appreciate what it meant for the time. You know what I mean? And you know, as you can you can hear in the clip, like people thought this movie was great. I mean, it's received a special critics award at the Venice Film Festival. Like everyone loved this movie, um, and I like it and I appreciate it intellectually. But it doesn't move me in the same way that it moved me in. 2004 it just doesn't i mean and it's i wish i wanted when i was watching it i just kept waiting for it and there's still things i like about like i like ben carruthers performance and i think he's really good i think he's really electric and you know um but other than that i'm just kind of like wait what like that complete lack of narrative even though i I like lack of narrative things I, i like them um I just kept losing myself and maybe that's just the nature of the times i spent too much time watching Marvel movies or something. I don't know. Um, but it just kept, it kept like getting away from me. And like, there was like a couple of scenes here or there that I was, I could invest in, but the nature of, of how the movie was made, just, I just kind of kept reaching for it. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't there. I mean, had you seen this movie before? So I think in every film lovers, um, history is, is a big gaping hole somewhere. <laughs> um, and, and for me, that was a lot of like Godard and, uh, Cassavetes, but I th- I'd say like the two big kind of like your your title references down there um, were the two big ones I had that just I, I had no history with them. Mm-hmm. So my first time seeing Shadows was on Monday night. Nice. Uh, my first time seeing a Cassavetes film was on Monday night. My thing is there are so many influential films that you know have shaped how cinema's progressed mm-hmm. um, that we can now sometimes, you know, a lot of these films hold up leans, Lawrence of Arabia, Lumet's 12 angry men, Orson Welles, even though I'm not a big fan of it, uh, you know, Citizen Kane, things like the opera, the cabinet, Dr. Calgary and well, Valshi Patenka. Movies we'll talk about like in the future. Something too like Renoir's 39, the rules of the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is like an old ass movie, but when you watch it, you're just like, all right. Yeah and, yeah, and even though you realize, you see things like that we've moved on from. Like, Spent Battleship Tenkin's a good example, and we'll talk about that in the far distant future. Mm-hmm. You people marking it down, that's yeah, another one. Whose list is it going to be on? Clue uh, alert. <laughs> Clue alert. Um, you watch these films, and they have a narrative still that's interesting, that's structured in, in, in such a way, or they do things that are so impressive in terms of, especially like mise-en-scene, or um, just, just compositionally, that... that that are striking still, even mm-hmm. at this moment. Um, and so when you hear about people's influence of them, you can, it strikes a chord. Mm-hmm. You know, when I hear of, of the director, especially Scorsese, and I think like Paul Schrader talked about yeah, that, oh, the yeah, influence yeah, yeah. of, um, I've been reading a lot about Paul Schrader last like week, uh, the influence of Cassavetes, and I sit down to watch Shadows. I still haven't sat down to watch Breathless or his, um, what's the one he did with Bobby Darren? That was like a couple years later. Um, uh, too Late, Blues, I think. Mm-hmm. Too Late Blues with Bobby Darren's like second feature. Or I haven't seen, you know, any of those movies, like Child is Waiting. Um, this is my only you know, exposure to him. I I don't see it. I, I see something that, that I appreciate the fact that these filmmakers who are moved by it got yeah. were struck by some sort of vision. Um 
But you know, you compare him to something like a Kurosawa, or you compare him to all these these groundbreaking oh, directors yeah, yeah, yeah. who did things that like you'd say like, oh, people have built on from this. He's not a foundational director to me, and this film doesn't have a foundation. There's there's a cinema verite aspect to it, but the my issue is that I had seen directors, um, like the Sika, like Vittorio the Sika with with Bicycle Thieves or. Um, you know, Umberto D do that better before and do that more well constructed within the scope of a film, but have a really authentic film and a raw and like it was still a rawness while still being a movie. And this has so many foundational problems, which you know, all the credit to the fact they probably didn't have the money for it. They talk about how you didn't have there was money, a yeah. there was a New Yorker like an old New Yorker article by uh, our good buddy Richard Brody, who said. Um, you know, that his, his New York life was artistic and threadbare. The stories was uh, poverty about shooting shadows or harrowing, which I haven't read. And, you know, he had all these studio prospects, um, which which were great, but, like, they just killed him. So he had no money for this. Right. Oh, and he never shows, had any money. It shows badly. And Well, there's no permits. They're, they worked most of the and, like, script the best, out, like, the in, best part in is their they acting film, classes. They film... Well, I, I would just only assume they actually film at the Met, and I don't know if they filmed there legally. Like that's yeah, I mean, really... it's the 50s, so I'm sure there wasn't like the same kind yeah. of security. They just took a camera, put it low, or even if there's a need it. of like the permit for at the Met, yeah. like maybe they're like, oh, sure, artistically it's fine, you know. Put it out. You Richard know, Nixon. Doing had, it outside. Richard Nixon had to become Reagan, and Nixon had to become president. <laughs> and like, how do we extort money from here? Um, like that. That's that's interesting. But there's so many moments where you could tell. He needed to get this released or, or whatnot, where you see an actor, you see like Caruther is kind of standing there. The shot starts, and then he starts walking into frame. You know, like, oh, like yeah, those yeah. little seconds cut out. And, and even the editing, like in the scene where um, Lelia kind of throws out, like closes the door on Tony. Um, like it's just, it's not happening, and then it's happening like a second later. And it's just like, so you don't even really get a chance to see it. The edit is, the cut is just so abrupt. Um, but I mean, even so, even further on in his career, and like he, you know, Jenna Rollins got nominated for an Oscar for A Woman Under the Influence, which is a great fucking movie. And Cassavetes and Rollins distributed that film themselves. Yeah, and and like I, 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 I kind of interested to see like later Cassavetes movies as he gets money and has oh, he's fantastic. I assume because there's a lot of rawness here that seems like it would grow into a better director, but the the. This shows that sometimes following the rules of cinema are important mm-hmm. to telling a narrative. Um, he's, I, I watched also the documentary, and I should have probably watched Faces after this. I just didn't really have the time. Um, I'm going to get to it. Uh, but I watched the documentary of his production of Shadows and of Faces. And he's mm-hmm. talking about how, you know, oh, we're using equipment that the studio gave us or that was from the money they paid us because, like, fuck the studios. And mm-hmm. he's like, I make movies for myself, and if other people like them and I distribute them, then great. Mm-hmm. But all I make movies is for myself. And Shadows clearly shows that it has a real student film quality to it. The story itself, not very interesting. Well, it's, it's just, you know... It's, it's really it's, amateur. It's and, three and, siblings yeah. of various, like, shades of... of of blackness, essentially. For the first, for a couple of them, shades of whiteness. Shades of whiteness, but they're all supposed to be African American. Yeah. And then the the Lelia, the um, the sister, starts dating this guy Tony, who you know, she loses her virginity to him. Um, you know, she has this she has this really great moment where she's it's like one of the real 
only real moments of this movie um, where she's saying she thought they would be closer than ever and now like after they have sex and they're, and they're not, she just wants to go home. And then Tony realizes that she's black and like flees from her house and you know and, uh, there's a couple there's a couple of other other yeah. subplots that are happening around here um i i mean i think i think the performances for as raw as it is and has kind of like you know a uh, stream of consciousness as like the stream and, of consciousness and, and, and yeah. it is um like goldani heard caruthers are all really good in it my problem comes down like i said to the fundamental production level uh you know uh, what 10 weeks ago we talked about ozu's tokyo story um, which broke, you know, this is Tokyo Story six years before 1953, yeah. but he breaks a lot of the conventions. He breaks a lot of conventions, the, the rules of film and shooting at low angles, constantly breaking the 180 rule. Mm-hmm. You know, rules that are established in cinema so that a narrative flows. And he, he, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Tokyo Story, I really like it, but like I, I don't, you know, adore it. Uh, I respect the fact that when he's doing that and he breaks those conventions, he still does it in a way that is jarring to the viewer but makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you realize watching Shadows why those rules exist. There's a scene early on where three, where two of the brothers, I think, are, are in the apartment talking and just kind of like having this weird back and forth. Mm-hmm. And the camera's just moving everywhere. It's, yeah. it's everywhere all at once. And you lose, as a viewer, your sense of perspective. And, yeah. and, you know, sometimes, like, if you're just watching the narrative and just listening to the lines, that doesn't matter. But when you're trying to get a frame of reference of where you are and where people are coming from, and especially when you're not familiar with these actors, so sometimes you see an actor and you think it might be a different guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think, I agree. You, you suddenly think there might be three or four people in the room because the camera's just floating everywhere. Well, and so I'll say this is another, this is another case where, different from Metropolis, but similar to Metropolis in the sense that if you want to watch Shadows and you... If in 2019 you want to watch Shadows and you want to appreciate it, you're going to have to go in armed with some text. Yes. You're going to have to go in armed with some context, with some reviews, which some, with some technical information. Because I, I watched this blind. To show to, – and what's well, the thing? So in 2004 when I watched it blind, I was just like, holy shit. And I think because we kind of talked about this off air a couple of days ago, the idea that – I was being peddled, or we were being peddled in like that era of when I, you know, when we were younger. Of independent film looked like Clerks. Independent film looked like Sex Lies and Videotape, and or Pulp Fiction or whatever. And in reality, independent film and the idea that independent film could look like this was amazing to me. Like this was a freedom that those movies didn't even bother to peddle in. After you watch a, num- a number of movies, though, and you kind of get accustomed to certain, like you, you've used the word rules before, certain foundational things about about what makes a movie a movie, and this is still a movie, I'm not saying that, but like, I don't know, like you said, the idea that things are just kind of, you never know who anybody is or where anybody is, or the idea that there's people talking and there's a voiceover and they don't match, and they might not even be for the same for that character, like in the beginning of the movie when they they pick up the girls and they're all sitting at different seats in like that diner thing. Yeah. There's this voiceover and you're just like, is the voiceover like Is this ADR real? for one of the characters or is this something else? Or is it something... And we talked about this because we talked about, we had a little pre-discussion on Shadows a couple days ago mm-hmm. at Archie Moore's New Haven, Connecticut, Willow Street, 181 and a half. Go on Tuesdays, $6.50 Buffalo Chicken Nachos. They're terrific. Send us some. Uh, yeah, send us a weekly. We will <laughs> spot you every week. Um, 
we talked about the same issue with Monty Python, the Holy Grail, where, you know, they didn't have a lot of money for that film. And so there's a lot of audio design <laughs> if right. where a character's supposed to be far away and like they may only had one mic. So it's literally so it's a guy there, yeah. yelling down and the, it's hard to hear at times. And it uh-huh. kind of works for that movie. kind of works. In it's part s- of the humor. Yeah. yeah. It's part of the humor. And also these people had just such a huge background and production of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I think it's it's a nice study in the sense of it's a good movie, has a good structure, has good ideas. But I, were I a film teacher, I would be like, this is the time, you know, this is a movie to watch. Why you have to pay attention to the rules of editing and cinematography? Which he would. I mean, Casavetes became a much like he went from oh, here to be like an an icon of like a certain kind and of I film. And I think I think had he had the money, I I don't strike this as like Cassavetes is an idiot. I strike this as Cassavetes didn't have the money. He was doing it with nothing. Yeah, exactly. Because he has a background. He was what a major television star by this point. Yeah, he like was, he, he funded it from his Hollywood yeah. roles. And he was teaching. I mean, he was teaching acting classes, yeah. and you know, he knew because he knew acting, what he was doing. The performances just, in this are great. Like right. I, in an acting perspective, this is a solid film. It just has a production standpoint. You see. All the flaws that could unravel so it's a, a good performance and a good a good present, presentation of story. It's a really enthralling you, and important story of its time, yeah. like in terms of the the age in which you're presenting African American characters. Mm-hmm. You know, 1959 has really solid. Like even though they're not not all of them are African American, but presenting them has solid protagonists. You know, this is predating Night of the Living Dead by two or three years. Mm-hmm. When Night of the Living Dead is like one of the first major productions that actually have a black character as a true down and out raw hero um it's it's groundbreaking revolutionary in that sense but when you just can't obey those rules or you don't have the ability to or you just don't have the knowowledge yet uh or the talent the, the, the skill not talent but the, the skill set yet to obey those rules you see where certain flaw like a, that a film is a, a whole production and we have certain flaws it it, it derides and kind of brings down all the other aspects of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you said before that it wasn't maybe a foundational movie, but I think it's a foundational idea mm-hmm. for a lot of people of how they can take, you know, or just like a writer who wants to break whatever rules they want of writing before they have to learn, before they can just like blow like the concept of, you know, narrative structure, traditional literal Don't structure. Don't please coming for us again. Yeah. Um, they have to learn. They have to. Scorsese in the front. Learn the basics, and I, I, I think you can see some of that stuff in the fact that, like Scorsese and even like Dennis Hopper and like Easy Rider, you know what I mean? Which has, which has a lot of long takes and is really slow for a movie that's supposed to be really rebellious and not a lot happens. Um, it's free in that sense, but he still says like, "I this movie should be in like these shots should be in frame." Like, the camera should not just be switching back and forth between people randomly. Yeah, and, and I think, all, all, to an extent, Cassavetes himself kind of saw that. I mean, it's, he basically yeah. started again from scratch, from the 57 to the 59 58, version. Yeah. 58, version. Um, and which, of course, there are critics that say the 58 version is superior to the 59 version, which maybe, I don't know, I didn't see I mean, the 58 I would, version. I would hold this in a higher scope than I'd hold something that I think is similarly flawed, and much later is Jordawaski's... Um, Holy Mountain, which I think is fundamentally well, Holy, fundamentally a badly made movie. Holy Mountain was almost on my list. I think it's fundamentally a badly made movie, though. But I think it's like supposed to be. Yeah, but it's definitely supposed but to be. supposed to be like but like badly made in terms of like of disobeying the rules. But it disobeys the rules so much that it just becomes a mess. And this is a mess that is just like 
it's it's watching a amateur chef who doesn't have a lot of money try to make, you know, mac macaroons. Yeah, or like when the when on chopped. Instead of giving them real ingredients, they give them leftovers. Yeah. And the people, like the judges, just like, well, you didn't do anything with this half a sandwich. You just kind of people, toasted the half a sandwich and then just gave it back to They're people us. who have a lot of, like, good raw talent. But they're good at, they're a good yeah. chef, but they, they have, they had a ha- talent. all they had was a half a sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's good in that perspective. And I, 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 I'm intrigued. It's going to take me a while just because the stream of consciousness films don't ever really do it for me, so it's going to take me a while to get through the Cassavetes filmography, but I do see a lot of talent there. I mean, this was a struggle for me, because it's, oh, I mean, it's I, tedious. Um, it, it's a tedious film. I wouldn't suggest anybody see this movie. I love this movie, and some of these scenes are just kind of, like, burned, and, like, the ending scene, like, you know, if you're wondering if I learned my lesson, like, I guess I learned my lesson. Um, the end, and some of those, like... So different so than J.K. Really, Simmons at the end of Burn I, After Reading. Yeah, I'm really into this um, photographer... Um, W. Eugene Smith, who um, in like 57 to 65, I think, he was living in this loft in, in New York City um, where a lot of jazz musicians would, would come to participate. But the other thing he did in the loft is he took street shots of like black and white street shots of New York City. And there's a lot of the scenes of Benny just kind of like walking around and establishing it, himself in the, like, in the flow of the city that I'm just kind of like, that's W. Eugene Smith right there. Well, and that's, it's just stuck in my head. Like, like Errol... Like, I'm not going to say like Eric Kumar's uh, cinematography was, was astonishing or anything, but the thing that I really noticed in this movie, you know, being having a movie that's almost of a similar year in a similar location early on um, in, the same lo- in the same city, mm-hmm. um, this, this is one of the most authentic-feeling films in terms of the street level. Oh, yeah. Like, like, you, like you look at this, and it's almost like a documentary of that era. like you kind of watch the street scenes you're like oh this is actually what the streets were like in 1950 like there's no or like those opening shots of benny like going to that party where obviously cassavetes just took a camera to a party yeah. and then just told ben carruthers to walk around and i'll just film and, you. and that was interesting because it, it does feel like a documentary in that sense mm-hmm. uh there, there's no what's the word i'm not not preposition there's no um pretense there's no pretense to to anything it's just is raw and in the moment so it feels it feels documentary level at that. Mm-hmm. and those moments outside where there's not a lot of like character building or a lot of like story building um those are really fascinating interesting even when it, like even when you could kind of see a person at their mark waiting for the scene to start it's fine because you're, like, you're just looking at the world around you going like this is what it looked like 60 now 60 years ago yeah, this is like, that's yeah, exactly this that's, is what that's it is. really yeah. cool because like even documentaries are really well produced films don't hit that. Don't they still have a, a bit of well? That's uh, where the freedom, inauthenticity. And that's where them. the freedom comes in because they were kind of planned like that. They were just like, "There's no one looking. Let's have them run across this street." Yeah, and that that was really, I'm saying really a lot. That is very interesting to to look at. Mm-hmm. But when you kind of when bring you attach this, a narrative to when it, when you attach it's the narrative like, and okay, you bring right. them in the buildings, you bring them into uh, probably not sets, but into a room yeah. that he could like craft and, and shape a story around. That's when it kind of falls apart for mm-hmm. me. Um, I personally couldn't recommend this because it's a struggle at 87 minutes for well, me. I, mean, uh, re- I would recommend it if you just are, if you're really interested in the history of American film. But you have to like, yeah, you go gotta, into it. You got to go. So you got to go some places first, do some reading, and then come to it. 
with a, a knowledge base. I think if you go into it Which with, makes it sound really elitist and weird, but I'm just, it's just from your perspective, uh, I think your perspective is the right perspective in the sense that if you're not ready for what this movie is... It's going to be hell. It's going to be just like, oh, okay, and then, and what is, what is this, and why are they doing this, and why does this look like this, and why does this sound like this? Um, if you're into that, then do that. If you're 19 years old and you've never seen one of these movies before, and all you know is what they have on Netflix, then actually just maybe go into this blind. But you have to, I think you have to want it. I wouldn't say if you just have like a free hour and really just kind of want to spend, like you just want to kick back at night and watch, unwind and watch a flick. Like, I'm not saying Shadows is for you. Okay. Uh, you're, you're a big, you do like Castavetti's Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, what, what, Woman what be, what's going to be the next Cassavetes film I should see? Woman Under the Influence is his best, is his best film. So that would be the next movie I should see if I want to get into it. Yeah, and then, or Love Streams, which is his last movie. And by saying me, I'm trying to like say to our viewers who maybe haven't seen Cassavetes. Yeah, so um, Love's... You know, uh, I assume if you're listening to us at this point still, you probably have and are just like, this, why is this guy of a The Killing of a Chinese films? Bookie is also a very good movie. I mean, he used a lot of like the same actors. So Ben, you know, Seymour Cassell comes out a lot. Peter Falk, Ben Gazzara... I know he uses Gina Rowland. Gina Rowland, well, they're, they're married. So. Yeah, Gina Rowland gets nominated for two of his films, I think. For Woman Under the Influence and maybe another, maybe a supporting one for another one. I, I don't know. She got we can check that out. But, um, but I mean, he's that's a, so it's it's where it's where he started. It's where this started, and it looks like this is where it started. And if you're in the right headspace, that's really interesting. And if you're out of that headspace, it's really kind of difficult maybe more difficult than i i want to admit that it is but it was i also had a tough time 2019 tom had a tough time with this movie versus 2000 or 2004 tom i can't believe yeah it's been 15 years since i first saw this movie which is kind of fascinating it's but. been two day three two <laughs> to three days since i've seen this all right uh we will be right back with mario's number 65 Summer of 2007 was a difficult one for young Mario Ponzio. I think I was just turned 21. I was entering the senior year, just dating myself again, entering my senior year of college, not knowing what I was going to do in life. And me and my long-term girlfriend, who actually was quasi my fiance, girlfriend no you say it no i was gonna say it's hard for you to get no i was gonna say it Uh, i was gonna say girlfriend at the time had kind of ended things um so i was pretty uh pretty upset pretty pretty feeling down on myself so for that summer i went through a period of a lot of weightlifting which i stopped doing and i've recently started doing over the past three years and now look pretty buff ladies um still single but I also read a lot of literature that you, you might call classic, but still being edgelordy because I was really digging down into the, what I was like the meat of people. I wrote a short story where I, I think I called people um, meat inside of bags of flesh at some point. Sure, so, yeah. you know, really trying hard to be like cool. Um, that was actually. That's cool. Meat inside bags of flesh is cool. I thought it was a good reference. Um, but I, it was the first time I read American Psycho by Brady Snellis. Um, right. Patrick Suskin's Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. Oh, yeah, that William book. William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch. 
uh, I went through almost the entire down. bibliography of Cormac McCarthy. Um, I woke up I, I, at 11 o'clock at night. I started the road, stayed up until six in the morning and finished it. And I had to go see a Monday. I was going to see Monday Night Raw that night, so I never actually slept. So I, I saw Monday Night Raw after sl- not sleeping for 24 hours. And I think that was actually the first instance where Randy Orton attacked John Cena, setting off a feud that would last forever. You were in the abyss, Mario. I was in deep in the abyss, because that, that feud was the abyss for a long, long time. <laughs> and at the same moment, I was trying to dig down into the, the pit of film. I was watching a lot of... <laughs> French <laughs> extremity horror. Uh-huh. I was really into high tension. Uh, Martyrs. I actually never liked Martyrs. I actually hadn't watched Martyrs yet because Martyrs hasn't come Martyrs out. Martyrs is rough. Hadn't come out until 2008. But so that, that French extremity horror, the early parts of like, even like the torture porn horror, and just trying to like see that nothing mattered. Like trying to find the nihilism and nothingness within me, the absurdity of it. Yeah. Like that, the, I was trying to become Russ Cole. The big gaping hole. Yeah. I was trying to, be, no, I was really just trying to become Russ Cole. But we're, if, all, if, we're all trying to be Ruskell. If, you know, the first season of True Detective had come out that, that summer, I probably would have got a tattoo of Ruskell on, like, my yeah, shoulder. You would have got a tattoo, like, on your chest of, yeah. like, the circle. Yeah, just time being a flat circle. Um, and I'd always been a fan of the dystopian feature, mm-hmm. the dystopian novel. 1984 in eighth grade was one of Ooh, the first book I ever finished where he said he loved Big Brother where I threw the book across the room against a wall because of how mad I was. But that's a good thing. No. That was no, a a brilliant novel. But I threw it, I threw it against the, the wall because I was mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> George was, Orwell listed the job. emotion yeah, yeah. he needed to. But I'd never seen the dystopian film that struck me as a true dystopia, that struck me with the banality mm-hmm. of a dystopia, uh, the, the boredom, the, the anew... Of it, as it were. Why am I using words that are just making me sound like a dick? Um, you didn't think Endgame had any of that stuff? It was the wrong <laughs> kind of dystopia. I used I used my pim particles to travel into the future. You didn't think off-season Mets City Field was <laughs> was bleak enough for you? And at the same time, I was trying to expand my knowledge of film. This is where a lot of the pivotal films uh, that are on this list, I, I, where, where I've seen them, yeah. Um, and I stumbled upon one that finally hit the dystopia that I imagined in my brain. The, the, the world of trying to continue on, but all the rules had changed and everything was trying to be clean, but grimy and people are trying to find the magic of it, but the magic wasn't there. And it's just in certain people, but those people are trying to be destroyed. And that felt like the dystopia to me, you know, a movie that's going to show up later on somebody's list by Terry Gilliam um, has a dystopia, but it, it, it has an artifice to it. It's a different kind of dystopia. Yeah. It's like an imagined. It's a. It's a. Um, it's an old dystopia where everything has been reestablished and exists as this now, and the people fighting against it are fighting against. Like a st- norms that are so established, it's almost not worth fighting against. Okay, we're going to have a deep, deep conversation about that for some reason at some point, at the exact point. It's um, going to be our most popular episode. And at the same time, I was, so I was trying to enculture myself into film, so I was trying to see as much as I could, and especially European film. 
and I stumbled upon this movie, and it hit all those marks. I am talking about the 1930 German romance film by Geza von Bolvari, Delicatessent. Oh, I, I must have watched the oh, wrong movie. Oh, no. Did you watch the wrong one? Did you know? Oh, no. It was the 1931. Uh, I, 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 did you get my text message? No, I didn't 1931. get it. 1931. Damn it. You watched Jean-Pierre Genoux and Mark Caro 1991 black comedy? Delicatessent? I, I did. Oh. Did you play the 1991 black comedy version again? It's just what I got. It's just what I got. So I, I've got to talk about this movie. Yeah, we've got to talk about this movie now. I'm sorry. I, mean, I'm seen sorry. It. I, see, I saw it the same year. Yeah. Um, well, hold on a second. I hope you can hear the typing noises. <laughs> yeah, we got them. This, bit, this bit's hard. We're picking them up. No, but seriously, the 1991 Jean-Pierre Jeannot, Mark Caro version of Delicatessen is my number 65. Um, I've never seen the 1930 version. If you think I should see it, the 19, not version, the Bulvary German romance film that has, that I just found out about literally five minutes ago. I was like, <laughs> this will make a great joke. Um, if you think I should see it, uh, tweet us and I will. It is a set in a post-apocalyptic country, uh, but mostly a post-apocalyptic apartment building where a uh, monstrous butcher with a very sociopathic sense of humor, has uh, been recruiting people through his Hard Times news um, paper articles to get people, poor, desperate people, in as maintenance men, and then proceeding to kill them so he can sell them as meat in his wildly popular butcher shop to the other residents of the apartment building. Um, you know, the currency is grain. And lentils and lentils corn and, and yeah. corn and those good old things. And eventually, uh, the new um, unemployed circus count Louison uh, comes in, and he has such a uh, bolsterous character, has such a wonder and childlike gaze and, and appreciation and innocence that is in stark contrast uh, to this world that uh, Julie, uh, the daughter of, mm-hmm. of Crape. The, uh, my French is... I took five years of French, guys. I actually can watch this movie without subtitles and almost understand all of it. Hmm. Fuck me if I can speak <laughs> the language. Because I have... I actually... at So at my fifth year, I was, I was told by my French teacher that I was one of the worst like French speakers. She's like, you're really good at reading, writing, and listening. You can't... like She's like, you can't speak it. I don't know what's going on. That's sad. I think there's something... Why did you say that? She told me to, she told me to to go into the like I should go to the country because I had like a, a talent for reading it. Uh-huh. Which is like you can you need to be around the language. And I did guess. you go? No oh, man, I've never left the country. Yeah, me neither. We should do that. Let's do pivotal, pivotal. film abroad. Whoa. That's where all our, that's where most of our listeners are. 
that, is that your... It's our vacation, yeah. Um, so, you know, Luzon says his, his charms, and Julie, she falls in love with him, but, you know, the rest of the apartment wants their meat. And, yeah. And it becomes this, this wild, not really chase, but it kind of breaks down in the third act, very much breaks down in the third act, um, into Terry Gilliam sort of nonsense. This movie was presented in America as a Terry Gilliam film. Yeah, which is... Not a Terry Gilliam film, but Terry Gilliam presenting to America... Which is weird. Delicatessen, which is weird. I mean, it makes in, perfect sense, but it's weird. It does. Like, this has a lot of the, the entrapments of, of what Americans are people would expect from a Terry Gilliam film. Yeah. But it's 100% a Jean-Pierre Genoux film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, As we would see, you know, in the years going forward, this is... Hasbury would literally see, uh, I would say, six years later? Because the color palette, and I, I would assume, I don't know if it's the same cinematographer. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, Darius uh, Konji, um, who did the cinematography on Alien Resurrection. Well, and City of Lost it, Children. City of, oh, yeah, City of Lost Children. But more people would know Alien Resurrection. The palette of Alien Resurrection and this movie are so similar. The color, nation. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where you get the Terry Gilliam thing. But it's a good introduction to it, but... For me, watching this movie, at this point in my life, the set design, the, the music, the, the clash of kind of just this, this self-defeat meets people trying to, you know, people acquiescing to the, this foggy, musky setback world this mm-hmm. world that feels like it's inherently in the, stuck in the 50s yet we're here in the 90s and, and the people acquiescing to to everything around them in comparison to you know Louisan and, and and julie trying to fight against that not necessarily fight against it but but rising above it and trying mm-hmm. to you know be that that green little leaf and, and flower rising from the ashes mm-hmm. um was such an authentic presentation of, of dystopia to me. And at this moment in time where I saw this, where I was kind of like digging down into it, it was a nice little kind of like, you know, maybe the nihilism part of the world isn't what I need. Maybe there's a lot of rough shit going on, a lot of horrible shit going on, and like a lot of, I'm having a rough time of it right now, and I'm reading a lot of things that dig down into the rough parts of it. You know, American Psycho, the book... Perfume. Not the musical. No. <laughs> uh, perfume especially and Naked Lunch in no ways what's our, even Child of God by Cormac McCarthy. Those four nah. were big ones. In no ways like have a push-up. The road has maybe a page at the very end, which is like a little light at the end of the tunnel. But Delicatessen is in that same sort of world and so authentically creates that world, which isn't like, it's not a dystopia of James Cameron. You know, the, the skulls being crushed underneath no, the, the tracks. It is just a world that's had this terrible thing. And, and now people, people are just are trying to get dealing by. With yeah, it. they're just they're and figuring it out. They kind of accept the fact that they're eating people. They accept the fact that this is the world. And, you know, they're making the best of it, but they're doing some awful things. And they don't want to break free of those awful things because this is what the world's become. And that's what you kind of get from novels like that or other dystopian films. Or, you know, even films that come later, some like Wally, which has this dystopia, but then kind of like inauthentically breaks against it. Um, With bad animation. Oh, geez, that's a 
That's a hard take. I was just going to say it's not really authentic. Well, I, the beginning of I think the first half of Wally is really excellent, and then they get into the spaceship, and then it's just yeah, it's, the fat it's, people is just not. It's it's executed really poorly. Yeah, but to me, the first two acts of this film, um, you know, having this character who who knows this world, who who sees the problems, but is trying to do his best to rise above it. You know, who, who sees the things that's happening, even like rising people around him, like Julie and whatnot, yeah. knowing these things are happening, who are were at once, you know, embedded in this world as well and accepting of it. He's rising above it. And it made me realize, and this is one of those heart movies for me. Like, you have your heart movies, and I don't have a lot of heart movies. This is 100% for me a heart movie. Uh-huh. Jean-Pierre Genou actually hits a lot of my heart. Um most mostly like very long engagement really struck me as like Too kind long, of yeah. like a romance like uh-huh. like that was one of the biggest romance things in my life it doesn't show up on my list um but he's he hit my he punched me a lot not amelie i do not like amelie well amelie sound seems like a compendium of all of his other ideas just yeah. kind of like mashed into a um a more palatable version of itself. Amelie is the Shape of Water of Jean-Pierre Genoux. Uh, I think Amelie is a way better movie than it's Shape of Water. It's a way better water. movie. Way better movie, but it feels It does like, the same thing. It's taking it, it's taking pieces of all the things that he's done and he's putting them together in a movie that might sell tickets yeah. instead of repulse people. And then starring, you know, well, I guess both movies start really very attractive actresses. Because on, uh, you know, early 2000s, Mario was a big fan of Andre Tattoo. So you like The Da Vinci Code? No, I never watched that movie. <laughs> it was really boring. I tried to watch it yeah, several I, times. I kept falling asleep. You didn't see directed by Ron Howard and go like, maybe I don't have to see this. We've had this. I've, maybe we haven't had a Da Vinci Code discussion. I was a big Da Vinci Code guy when the book came out. Oh, I'm sorry. A big Da Vinci Code guy. And then we when have they, not had this conversation. Well, then, let's, let's talk about the movie. We'll finish. We'll finish with this conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll end the movie conversation, and then we'll talk about Da Vinci Code really quick. Um, but this rose me out of it. This movie got me out of that. It's funny. It's funny. It's it's fun. The the sound design's great. The opening credits are some of the best opening credits. I, I didn't even notice this when I first saw it, but I just noticed it rewatching it. All the thi- like the opening credits kind of like scroll through this this tabletop, mm-hmm. and everything that the the people do, like the editor or the cinematographer or the music or production design or costume design, is on something that is related to what that person did. Costume design, like on a piece of cloth with a mm-hmm. button. Uh, I think editing's on a, was on like a knife or something like that. Uh, you know, production design's like on this like, like mirrored, I think like visual, like some visual effects or like that's so like on a mirrored image and, and you know, the direction of realization's kind of like this whole compendium well, picture. And that's awesome. And it's like this wondrous, crazy world. It's, 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 it's such a, for a movie that has such a, an incredibly small, not a small budget, but it was made for about $4 million um, in modern day money. But it was it's a tight production. Mm-hmm. But it so creates the world and every piece of it in the first two acts create that world that it feels earnest and it feels honest and it feels human. It feels like you can't, you've stepped into this moment in and time. And you know what's really interesting? So I, we've we talked about this before and I, I hadn't seen the movie, but as it turns out, I have seen like clips of the oh, movie. Oh, you've never seen this movie before? Like a couple of, no. But oh. I've seen a couple of, I've seen a couple of clips of it because I was a big City of Lost Children fan and I think Alien Resurrection is the best Alien movie. Again, 
everyone come at me. I'm perfectly okay with what it represents about me. I'm holding up my finger. I'm holding up a finger. I understand. Too. Yeah, it's, my, it's this, my second best. Alien Resurrection. I think I've is had the this conversation best. with a number of people. Um, Alien Resurrection. People need to give a review. Yeah, it's and watch really it again. difficult. And I mean, it's really fucking dark. I've never watched the work cut of Alien Three, but I can't imagine that well, being. Uh, so I'm going right to Alien Three with this conversation. Having watched this movie for the whole thing, there's so many things that Janu does that David Fincher just steals for like the rest of his career. Like, and it's so. And, and I didn't. I never even noticed it. Like the opening credits are like a perfect. David David Fincher is going to do that opening credit scene a hundred times in a movie if you let him. Fight Club is just that credit scene done like six hundred times through like every like orifices of people's bodies or like through piles of shit or like down city streets or whatever. You don't forget the oily like body composition and <laughs> um, girl with a dragon tattoo. Oh yeah, I mean, but I hate that movie. So and Gone Girl too. I hate those two movies. Um, but. You don't. It's and I. I want. I feel like this is a different conversation. We don't need to have it now. We can have it later. Things that are influential, you don't realize where that influence comes from. So like David Fincher obviously saw this movie, and this isn't discredit David Fincher. No, like, David Fincher. He makes it. Filmmaker. He turns it and makes it his own. But David Fincher saw this movie and then was just like, oh, huh, okay. And yeah. then like he made Alien Three uh, two years after this movie came out. It didn't do everything that he would do. But then he made... Janu was obviously an influence on David Fincher, and who is an influence on, like, lots of other people. And it's it's really... And I found it fascinating in the same kind of way that someone might find Shadows fascinating. Like, what's here that people will steal or Janu will take and push into other places and expand out? Like, City of Lost Children is... So this whole movie takes place in one building. City of Lost Children takes the building and expands it into, like, a, you know, a whole realm. Yeah, City of Lost Children. City, a, a, an extensive nightmare landscape. Yeah, well, City of Lost Children gives me, like, ideas. Because, you, like, you compare Kronos to, like, what then? Yep. Um, going around Del Toro. And, I, and we're making suppositions here. And, 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 and we're, They're we're, safe we, suppositions, though. Like, if Guillermo del Toro hears this, it goes, excuse me, you're incorrect. Awesome. Uh, he puts down his his controller playing Silent Hill and goes, "I'm <laughs> going to correct these idiots." Um, but you know, and, and this is no discredit to that because this is what's great about film is like seeing all these makers come together and like borrow from each other because we're sure Janu does that later on. Yeah. Um, well, he did it for this. I mean, all of ter- I mean, this is. Yeah, this there's, is there's ter- presented Gilliam. by Terry Gilliam because this movie looks in a lot of ways aesthetically like a Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah, but like looking at City of Lost Children, even like the using Ron Perlman, like both of these guys love Ron Perlman. Yep. You know, um, you, you see a lot of like that that city and world building in City of Lost Children is what you see in uh, what Golden Army, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that kind of same world building. Um, but yeah, no, there's just, for me, this movie just... It just hits me in the heart. And the third act is disappointing. I will admit that. Well, it's just it, crazy. It, it becomes just, a cartoon. It's it, too it, much, it, yeah. And, and Janu kind of does that a lot. Like, he, like City of Lost Children does that to an extent, not as much, but it has a zaniness to it. Uh, I think, um, you know, Mark Carroll himself was, was, a, was a cartoonist. Uh, so it has, it has a cartoon element to it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it works to an extent. It try and goes into a magic realism, I think. Yes, too, I agree too heavily with you. into it. Yeah. Um, well, it's a fr- it's a, and it's a French magic it, realism too. Yeah. So as opposed to like the traditional kind of Latin American magical realism, 
where it's 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 light and is kind of funny and um it's really heavily spiritual this is really a like a dark magic realism. yeah it's all absurdism it's it's you know it's it's jean paul Sartre to like the yeah oh i thought about that too um, yeah yeah or or a, or a you know not necessarily french but like a beckett Speaking of Endgame, by the way, Dominic yeah, yeah, yeah. was Samuel Beckett on stage in, in Endgame, like so maybe that would work. Uh, so yeah, even that third act, even though it doesn't, it doesn't hit the the, the realness for me or, or or whatnot. It is going to rain like a mother soon. Um, it's the Pivotal Film Studios are darkening. Maybe the storm, maybe the nihilism storm cloud is, well, is, yeah, is shadowing uh, over me right now. Illuminated only by our. Our, Only by our computer yeah. screens. Like, like nihilism of 2007 has, has found the, the PIM particle has opened up and is, is here now. I'm cool with that. Um, but that's still, even that's still like, it, does, it doesn't work for me in what made it a pivotal film, but it works for the film. Like, like there are oh, the, yeah, the entire yeah. like music interlude with the sitting on the, the bed with the springs and, yeah. you know, everything all else going around. different things. All work. The sex, see, the sex scene ways. And the also, also every, like, ch, 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 Or even ch. the woman, like, trying to kill, like, always attempting to kill herself. I mean, that stuff is really sad, but super but funny. But it's sad, yeah. But it's everything about, like, the woman's having sex with, uh, with Crepe because, you know, she wants to get free meat sort of thing. Meat, yeah. You know, like, oh, that's really fucking dark. But it's funny. Right. You know, it, but it's it's darkly funny, and you realize like these people have made amends through h- dark humor and doing awful things, except for Louis Song, who's who's you know doing funny, innocent things that are in our world funny. He is our he is our, even though he's a circus clown and unemployed circus clown right now, he is our into it. He's mm-hmm. humans we want to be. Yeah. Well, he's I suppose, and I'm not like a. I'm like a big dystopian guy. Oh, it's retreating. It's getting lighter, guys. Yeah. Um, the nihilism is is given up defeat. It's faded to dust. But do dystopian things usually have a human quote unquote in them, so that we can latch onto like someone who hasn't completely dissipated, whose moral fiber, whose character hasn't dissipated with like the nature of their current reality. Um, and if they don't, they I don't think should. So. Look, at, look at Winston. Look at Winston. Like Winston, Winston yeah, is a good one. Like, like they're using the biggest example with nineteen forty. Like he's our human element, but then we watch his humanity get stripped away. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot the, of like the dystopian sun in the road. So many dystopian novels, like the the, the sun in um, the road, kind of like has a hope. But like a lot of this is especially like Brave New World or whatnot. Like you see everything getting stripped away mm-hmm. to a point. And this, um, it's somebody who's our human element. Grabbing someone from this and lifting them up. We can go to the. We can go right back. I mean, I'm not saying that Waiting for Godot is like a dystopian play, but there's aspects of Waiting for Godot where there's a nihilism there that that is a relative of the dystopian like world outlook, where just like this isn't going to get better. Like we just we better either hang ourselves or interesting. You bring up Waiting for Godot. Bring it. uh, I I did because I after seeing this movie, and this is the reason why it's a pivotal movie. After I saw this, I, me and my friends would always make movies, little short movies. Uh-huh. If you search hard enough on YouTube, guys, you can see some of them. They are not great. <laughs> um, but one, we, we filmed half of it, and then everyone left it because they didn't like it, was a movie, an hour-long movie. It was going to be like our longest one called The Long Wait. 
which was my, and I start, wrote this over two nights after seeing this film. Mm-hmm. And it was an adaptation of Waiting for Godot. And it's online. You have to post it on Twitter. I've, I've lost it. <sighs> I've lost it, yeah. Uh, Damn it. But it is, it, it is a beat for beat for Waiting for Godot. But in the end, one of them walks away and says, I'm done with this. Hmm. And then Godot shows up. Which and is not, the, it's not good. And then but, Godot eats them? No, it's, it's like, it ends up being like a god. It's sort of allegory, obviously. But uh-huh. like, this movie brought me out of a funk. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. this movie was the cornerstone for like, you know, and like with that, like for me, obviously it was like a nice, like for me being like a theist or whatnot, um, it kind of like brought me out like, okay, you know, like I feel like there's more to this world. Like this movie's not even saying that. This is just a very humanist movie. Well, it kind of is. It's I think of, it's humanist. Though. No, it's saying there's there's more to this world because these these people have kind of... Res- it is, but they're people, but the, it's more for the people. Yeah, like yeah, the people yeah, yeah. themselves. Oh, it's a humanist, no, it's a humanist like a, film. There's not a... Yeah, there's yeah, no God present movie. here. It's just... Um, this doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. It's... it's. But they're not saying God is going to save us or anything. No, no. But it's... But like for me, it was like a thing saying like... This brought me up, and I'm not saying like, oh, this is obviously what it's saying, but it's like, it says that don't latch on, to, it doesn't latch on to the negativity. It's a negative, dark world, but in the end, you know, the magic of, of a person, the, the heart of a person, the, the, um, let's be quick, I think, the heart of the person kind of like lifts them up out of it. Mm-hmm. And this will be quick was a reference to the rain that is pouring down on us, yes. the nihilism trying to grab me. But it's not going to win. Um, We're fortified here at the yeah. Pivotal Film Studios. We got little security blankets everywhere. No, we're just like the uh, the Avengers headquarters where he says close the barn door and huge metal things just collapse all over us. Yeah. But, you know, for me, this, this movie just got me of uh, a hard time. But now watching back at it, I'm like, this is really still a fucking solid movie from a production design standpoint. Oh, yeah, it's excellent. Yeah. Um, it's well directed. It's 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 really short. It's fairly short for like a lot of what's happening. Like mm-hmm. no, there's really no wasted space, which is always nice. Like watch us back now. Like I had such an emotional impact on me, but now kind of watch us like intellectually, it's still a good movie. It's like it's, it doesn't, it's that's fun. the third act's yeah. the third act's a little wobbly for me um a bit, but it's still, just too much. It's too much cutting, and I think it's just a, he has the same problem that Terry Gilliam sometimes has: is that you've done all this really intricate world building, you cannot, under any circumstances, do a bunch of fast cutting through that world because we don't know what the fuck we're looking at. Yeah, because everything looks, all the details are embellished and perfect, and we notice all of them. So if you just flash between all of them, it just looks like a series of interconnected details that have nothing to do with one another and we're just kind of like well what is what is this some might call that a series of unfortunate events but yeah so that's why my number 65 is delicatessen a movie you like but you also agree the third act's a little yeah i like it i mean i like it a lot i like janu a lot yeah so um so that's my number 65 delicatessen so if all you listen to our podcast for is our film discussion. That's, that's going to wrap up basically film. Uh, we might talk about another movie really quickly, but it's not about film. This is now the Tom and Mario are interested in well, yeah, we'll something that we didn't realize. And then we're going to do our wrap-up. So if you want to turn it off now, that's fine. Yeah. If you like us as people, God help you. Uh, 
but we're going to continue on talking. Uh, what do you mean by uh, Da Vinci Code, uh, the period? Um, so me and this, this, I was working at um, a bookstore when the Da Vinci Code came out. Can you not name this bookstore anymore? It's B. Dalton. Okay. But I mean, I don't, know if business, anyone, I don't know if anyone knows what a B. Dalton oh. is. And, but it wasn't a Barnes & Noble, so it's just, a, you know, a bookstore. Um, I didn't know if you had a contract with B. Dalton. Like, after he went no, out of business, no, no. you cannot talk about I B. Wish. Dalton. Um, so it came out when we were working there, and it, um, it kind of blew It was something I'd never even thought about beyond, like, you know, the Indiana Jones movie. And me and – and then – so when that came out, we got a bunch of copies of Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Which is that? It's a nonfiction book about those two historians that kind of go back. It's where Dan Brown got all of his ideas from. Oh. Um, Wait, really? Yeah, he's t- Dan Brown did not do all the work in the Da Vinci Code. No, I know, but I thought like I thought his ideas came from something else. Good. No, I mean that was Holy Blood, Holy Roll. Came, it was a book that came out in the eighties, which he uh, took a lot of his ideas about, um, like some of the the Last Supper stuff, you know, the Da Vinci picture and whatever. Um, and we were convinced after reading the Da Vinci Code a number of times and then Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and then also some other stuff about the Knights Templar that we were going to find the Holy Grail. And we were going to learn French and we were going to go to France and we were going to fucking find it. And needless to say, that now didn't happen. Yes. But that's, I mean, I was all the way into the Da Vinci Code. But did you like, do you like Da Vinci Code, the book itself? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I know, I understand now that it's terrible. But it had so many interesting ideas in it that I was just like, oh, man. Yeah, Da Vinci Code. Let's do it. I'm fine with that Holy Grail. And then the movie came out, and I was just like, nah, this is stupid. So in um, 2001 or 2002, I read Foucault's Pendulum by Umberto Eco. Which you don't like. I hate that book. It's one of my least favorite books. But then Da Vinci Code came out a couple years later, like 2003, 2004 uh, April 2003, so 17-year um, anniversary of it. But I read that like soon afterwards, and I was just like, this is just ripping off. Like, I read Da Vinci Code, I was like, this is just a ripoff of Foucault's Pendulum. Mm-hmm. Like, and I hated Foucault's Pendulum, so I just instantly hated Da Vinci Code even more. And it's a ripoff, too, of a little bit of In the Name of the Rose, which also deals with a lot of the, the Knights Templar I don't read In the Name of the Rose, but... Um, so, yeah, I mean, Dan Brown is not, like, an original novelist. And we weren't saying that our interest a in... A good novelist. Our, our interest in Da Vinci Code was not because it was so convincing as a thing. We were just like, oh, he there didn't are rush ideas out here. to get Inferno when it came out. No, well, it's the thing, and I've read. I tried to read, you know, obviously, Angels and we, Demons, Angels and, Demons and oh, what's the other one? Oh, uh, Lost Symbol. No, no, there was one that he wrote. Before. Da Vinci Code was his third book. There was another book, The Source, The Source the, Code. Uh, there's Digital Fortress. Digital Fortress, yeah, there it is. Um, so we got we had boxes and boxes of those mass oh, God, he paperbacks. Wrote, he wrote another. Uh, I didn't know he wrote another Robert Langdon novel recently. What, the uh, Origins? Origins? Yeah. yeah, I didn't know about that. Um, and I haven't read that one either. I tried to read I don't Angel- think anybody read that, man. I tried to read Angels and Demons, and I couldn't because he stinks as a writer. He's just a terrible writer. But Da Vinci Code, I wasn't responding to the writing. I was just responding to, like, the mystery of it. I always liked a good mystery. Um, but I've never, I've never found the Holy Grail. So if somebody wants to tell me where the Holy Grail is... They can send us a message at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, this movie flopped. <laughs> Inferno flopped hard in America, huh? I don't, I don't know, <laughs> did it? Yeah, it did. It ended up with $34 million. You have a really funnily satisfied face. I do. Cause You're like, yeah, whatever. take that. Ugh. 
Um, if you want to tweet your love of Ron Howard films, you can tweet somewhere else. If you want to tweet something beyond that to us, uh, you can tweet us at we don't have any Ron Howard films. Twitter.com slash film. Yeah, that was that was on purpose for me. Uh, slash film pivotal. Uh, especially if like you have conversation, if you saw a spoiler part of it and of our Avengers Endgames conversation, and wanna correct me on, on my my hard moments, that'd be that'd be good to hear because I'm, I'm really interested to have that conversation. Um, see if I'm wrong for or, or why we disagree or, or I just say don't, I'm wrong. I just don't think it was necessary. I don't think it's necessary, and I think it's it's very problematic. I don't Maybe think I'm wrong. I don't think it's problematic. Because the culture says that that stuff isn't problematic anymore. I just think it's not. The movie didn't suggest that it needed that. And if it wanted to do that, then it doesn't make a hysterical last 45 minutes where you can't have Evangeline Lilly and Letitia Wright and any of these other actresses come in and actually do something meaningful rather than just collect around... Yeah, yeah. Brie Larson who doesn't fucking need their help and then you know yeah no that's exactly. it you just make how, give them something real to do instead of making a shitty movie oh fan service I wouldn't call it shitty just a fan service it's movie that... yeah it's a fan service movie that sucks <laughs> you're just you're going hard as the hours pass it just it's not it's not interesting it's not an interesting movie and that's the thing they had a chance after the first like half hour of the movie they had a chance to make hour, an interesting movie mm-hmm. and they just they actively decided to make a not interesting movie. No, I, I would, from a movie standpoint, I'd agree. From a fan service standpoint, I think it works. But um, if you wanna, if you wanna but argue with a, us, but if you're about a fan that, of this movie, is that really all you want? Is for like the produ- like the Marvel universe, whatever the genie or like the space Will Smith? <laughs> yeah, the Will Smith. But Will Smith, the Will Smith of Aladdin, or the Will Smith. Uh, old Will Smith of Gemini, Pursuit of Happiness, or the young Will Smith of, of Gemini Man. Yeah, Pursuit of Happiness. Did you see that, see that trailer yet? No, don't, you don't see that. Um, just kind of like patting you on the back and being like, "This is what you want, isn't it? Isn't this what you want, good little snowflake, comrade snowflake with your oh Avengers?" My God. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you, uh, you know, our we're suggestion gonna get, is we're going to get canceled now. Oh, yeah. We only get canceled if I get hit by a car when I'm <laughs> trying to cross the street on my way out. Nah, of here. I keep doing the podcast. <laughs> I don't know how to edit. Um, <laughs> I'll just put a raw sound. If you, uh, yeah, you should actually. What you should do is you should go see Claire Denis' High Life, which we'll talk about soon when I when we will see it. I, my only opportunity to see it. Oh jeez, my only opportunity was to see it yesterday, Thursday, and I was not going to do that because I didn't want to have some. But we saw this ball walking out of Avengers. Been like, dude, can you believe? That Thanos well, yeah, ate you, an apple? You were going to do a double duty, but you decided instead to just spend three hours of your life yeah, instead yeah. of five hours of your life in the movie theater. Yeah. Um, so, we'll, you know, whatever. Go see a movie, drink a beer, and we will talk to you next week.